Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Maga Recap. It's the 23rd of November of 2022, and I am here to talk with you and with you. I'm pointing through the camera. Oh, oh to the so, audience, to you. Oh, we could be like uh, the old, like when 3D technology was starting to become a thing. I don't know if you remember this, and our guaranteed our audience is mostly too young to remember this. There was like a point where uh, TGIF was like doing like a branded thing where like all their shows were going to be in 3D. So you'd buy six packs of soda because or 12 packs of soda because that's where the 3D glasses were. And it was at the end. So you just see like Urkel like launched a cannonball through there. And he's like, where did that cannonball go? And that was the entirety of like the episodes use of, of, of 3D. So can we do that? No. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Damn. All right, I tried, guys. That's. I'm not going to get a second webcam just so that we can, you know, have it at a very slightly different angle. <laughs> guys, we're t- it's time to talk about Black Clover. <laughs> this adds nothing to the discussion. No. It's a uh, chapter about the dog talisman. I mean, that would probably have more to do with anything than any of the other 3D stuff I've seen. That'd be true. Uh, it was very weird when uh, 3D kind of exper- experienced a resurgence, like in the uh, really late 2000s, really uh, early 2010s. Uh, like you would see it like uh, there, there are bits where it's actually weird looking back now and knowing that it, that like, oh, no, this this was shown in like 3D like uh you know alice in wonderland the the tim burton version is like no this was this was this was in 3d it was a giant headache to watch it because of the 3d uh you can also get like it still exists they do still do 3d movies by the way yes they do. Uh, i i think the last one i watched was i think guardians of the galaxy but i may have seen the first black panther in 3d not by choice. I think my brother was like, we need to go to see Black Panther tonight. And that was the only showing left for whatever uh, reason. So I think I, I think we may have. I feel like I've seen another movie in 3D and I never enjoyed it. And after the uh, blood vessels in your eyes stopped pounding, you were like, oh, this was worth the extra five dollars for ticket. <laughs> Pretty much. Guys, we have a lot of manga to talk about today, so uh, I think that I think that we will just get get into it uh, with the well, with no. Well, what I thought we had something we wanted to talk about. We, you're right. It's very important. Yeah. Uh, so Naputaku has been waiting patiently. Our son, Nick. So uh, we both received a care package uh, from. Our fans, uh, Mandela and Corito, friends of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were, uh, for both of us, there were like, you know, some consumable things. Quinn got uh, honey mustard. I got brown sugar cinnamon pop tarts. There you go. Uh, on brand for both of us. Uh, there were also some like Japanese uh, sweets uh, of different kinds, all of which I had never heard of before, which, you know, makes well, sense. I remember the confetta. I, I don't know if you got the same ones I did. There was like confetti or confetto or something like that. It's like little sugar uh, spiky candies. Yes. I only know that because candy brush or whatever, whatever the candy themed battle show that we had briefly like earlier this year in Jump was use those as like yeah. the joke for like the steroid power up. I remember that. Was that this year? 
It might have been last year, but I, I feel like it was something. Because if that was this year, I will feel I'll just be like, oh, just turn to dust. Uh, I feel like it may have been last year, but I, I feel like it's very recently. Uh, but there were two big things uh, that came along with the consumable items. Uh, so Quinn got a very round Nanami, uh-huh. uh, and I was given uh, a very round Jiro. Which, uh, I don't know why I didn't think that this was coming. I mean, this is, uh, after I saw yours, but it's, she's very, very round. I've I've kind of played around by just, like, putting her, like, flat and then, like, rolling her. (laughs) It's it's bizarrely fun to do. (laughs) Hell yeah. And, uh, then there was the other thing. (laughs) Which was, again, perfectly on brand, but just... A weird thing to receive as a gift, if you don't know the context. So, I've got a framed printout <laughs> of the Putsuku winning the Maku Chagata Destruction character. Hell yeah! <laughs> My boy, look at him! Like now, I like legitimately between this and 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 the plush, I can like legitimately start a small Naputaku shrine, and it's a shrine. I'm very excited about that. Legitimately, guys, uh, you you may have heard me mention uh, this uh, a couple of times in the last few months. I got I got married earlier this year, and uh, one of the wedding gifts I received after the fact. Uh, this is the first time I'm talking about this particular thing on the podcast was this wonderful, heartfelt, hand drawn uh, uh, portrait uh, that my brother did of uh, it's a drawn a hand drawn version of a photograph of Nicole and I, you know, at our wedding. Uh, we got it when we got that. I literally cried uh, that picture has is in a frame that is not as good as this frame (laughs) it's such a fancy frame (laughs) so uh but thank you guys this was uh an incredible gift to receive uh thank you so much i I also read your note and it made me tear up oh uh, also there are little like travel stickers of like spy family stuff they're very nice uh thank you guys so much uh i will remember this forever good times all right let's talk about manga nick which in a way we're talking about a manga that's all about memories Mm mm-hmm Sometimes. Sometimes it's about memories. Uh, sometimes it's about wanting to make memories and not waste your time, your, your youth, while you know, you're still young. Uh, but mostly, though, it's about how uh, girls are sex objects. So It's also sometimes about monsters. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> We're talking about crossing time. Crossing time! Time for us to cross out to the place that we're gonna be crossing this time. Crossing time. If you hadn't, if you hadn't added the last two words, it would have fit perfectly. I just, just. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm all about. I just want you to know that, like, I like oftentimes, like the day before recording or day of recording, I'll like when I'm driving, just like work out my thoughts, and like the only thing I've really worked out for this was I, I, I did the full. Crossing time song, not to any specific lyrics. 
<laughs> but just like in general, I just kept singing it. So <laughs> whatever keeps you going, you know. Yep. This is a seinen manga uh, by Yoshimi Sato. It ran in monthly action for about five years, ended uh, just over a year ago. Uh, the entire manga, I believe, is available on Crunchyroll if you have a subscription. Also, there is an anime version that you can also watch on Crunchyroll. Uh, but in general, this is just kind of a slice of life, episodic uh, series that does it does have like time is linear in it if, if you get what I mean like there there are plots that like you know there there is a cast of characters that you will see show up uh, in different episodes and each time you see them like the timeline moves forward for them and there is this implication that all of the different groups are at least tepidly connected to one another because some of them will like come up in each other's conversations. But for the most part, it's a group of uh, isolated stories about these various different people uh, and their experiences at different railroad crossings uh, around Japan when, you know, like the gate, the, the gate goes down so that the train can go by. So you just kind of have to just sit there uh, and it's about the moments that are made during the time that people are just kind of like waiting for the train to cross and then they can, you know, go, go across the tracks. A uh, bunch of short chapters that tell this kind of story. Uh, in some cases, these stories are about um, love. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a few cases where like, you know, a character like will confess to another one or will, you know, be harboring feelings for another person. Uh, but not know how to express them. Uh, there is one story where a guy, like, you know, it's the first chapter that is about these two characters. This guy just blurts out a confession to her while he's filming her in a way that he makes out, like, is extremely perverted. But at the same time, they probably have the healthiest relationship out of any, out of any straight couple that is featured in this series, I think. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff uh, that happens there there is yes uh, there's a group of kids who keep on encountering like haunted stuff uh like you know ghosts um but then they're like oh i guess it wasn't anything but then it was there was a ghost there ah yeah but it's not it's not you know particularly scary it's just like oh there was a ghost ooh and um that's kind of it uh it, there's a couple of like things i do make note of but in general, it is just an anthology kind of series uh, where different things happen. But they're very small snippets of, of Slice of Life stuff. So, as I said, I, I had trouble kind of thinking like what my thoughts on this series are going to be. Because this is a short story collection um, that really doesn't have like grand overarching narratives to it, per se. Like, re recurring characters will show up and things like that. But, like... There's not really, like, a narrative to get into, um, but I don't want that to, like, lead to the idea that I, I don't like this series, because I do. I, I think there is, like, a whimsical sort of, um, I don't want to say element, but I guess the premise of, uh, hey, you know, we are humans who are finding ourselves in a situation that you could find yourself in, maybe not exactly, but, like, I think we've all run into situations where, like, 
just the way society is, we have to take a pause for ourselves. Maybe it's not stopping at a crossing road, but like, you know, you push a button in the elevator and you have to wait till you get to the next floor. And oftentimes you're there with strangers and like these brief glimpses of humanity that kind of come out in that period of waiting in between. And sometimes it's romantic and sometimes it's silly and sometimes it's about monsters. Um, but like these things exist, they're very ephemeral and then it disappears. The train goes by, elevator hits the next floor. You move on with your life. In this case, you move on to the next chapter that involves an entirely different set of characters in this than the ones it did previously. Um, and there's something kind of quaint and charming about that. There really isn't like a whole lot of stakes you have to follow. Um, and like in general, I found it not like, I I'd hesitate to say this is like an engaging read, but this is not like something that I'm like angry I read or anything like that. It's just, it's, you know, it's nice. It's quaint. I, I, I feel like if I ever do run into a situation where I am forced to like, like I'm walking somewhere and it happens to be over a train railroad crossing and I have to wait for a train, I will likely think of this manga. I'll also probably think about Closing Time by Semisonic uh, and then I'll start singing it. And then the person next to it will be like, why are you singing this song? That's not how the song goes. And I'm like, crossing time. <laughs> Waiting person for next to me says, that is not how the song goes. <laughs> crossing time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, the, I have mixed thoughts about this manga, or I guess really for me to sum it up, this is like, it's a collection of different stories that feature, you know, different like sets of stock, each, you know, like group of chapters is like, okay, this is, you know, a story about characters A and B. This is a story about characters C and D. This one is a story about character E, blah, 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 blah. So because you get like a different assortment of those different sets of characters i had this is a mixed bag for me uh i think that some of the story some of the you know sets of characters are fine to kind of nice to get to see and, and follow some of them are can't could not give a shit get this person away from me don't want to see them do the same spiel over and over and over again. It's just one stupid joke that they have, uh, and it's annoying and I don't like it. Uh, and then there are some which are somewhere in between, which are, oh, this is, you know, kind of a nice setup. I really could do without some of the elements and implications of it because for a series that is supposed to be about, you know, a set of different moments there kind of tends to be a lot of sexualizing girls that are too young to be sexualized in this series. Uh, yeah. uh, a lot of it is like weird framing as well. Yes. Just like it's weird. I, I think reading the certain series that we do has like broken me down <laughs> Because, like, there's certain scenes that I read and I was like, it's weird this shot is on, like, the girls behind. But I'm like, it's not really, like, a butt shot, like, Eden Zero or something like that. Like, it still is weird, but I'm like, I guess I'm just, like, <laughs> I've been, like, so disillusioned to it because I'm like, Eden Zero mm -hmm. doesn't, it's such a more egregious stance or other series, you know, for that matter. 
Yeah, it's 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 a more nefarious form of male gaze. It's one where it's not it's not flashing. This is a male gaze shot at you. It's just kind of happening. Yeah, it's not. I wouldn't say it's like erotic or anything. It's just very strange. There's a lot of times where you're like, why is the camera panned like this? I can understand like, hey, this is a static shot. These characters literally for the premise of this manga cannot move. The train is going on. Yeah. But it's still one of those things of like, all right, you want some, you don't want to just be Kevin Smith where you just have a static shot that you <laughs> air for like 13 minutes. You're like, I need some movement here. Uh, but why does it need to pan across like the back I get, or like weird poses? It's like, these are, these are, these are kind of dumb. I, I think you could definitely take that out and, and the manga would be a lot better for it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like it's, it is partially framing. It's also partially, um, the premise of how characters interact with each other and and then the way that things are hinted with each other. There's a lot of, you know, cases of like, um, okay, you know, these two characters interacting and there is, you know, some sort of a, at least partially intimate dynamic between them. There's a lot of little ship teases that happen between the, the sets of characters that are grouped together uh, in this series. The first one that, the first characters that you see are uh, a pair of friends uh, who uh, one of the girls uh, likes her, likes the other. And that she just straight up it, it at towards the end of that first chapter, it comes out like, Oh, she, you know, kind of like indirectly confesses to her. And then they're like, okay, well, how are they going to deal with that situation? You know, while well, you see little snippets from their life going forward from there, their time where they're still, you know, like going and coming on their way to and from school, going through that same uh, crossing gate. And uh, it's like, OK, well, one of the girls knows that the other girl likes her. How does she deal with that? Uh, that's probably like the most welcome set of characters consistently to see. They seem to have a pretty healthy relationship. They're both roughly the same age. Uh, the second characters that you see are a guy who finds his classmate to be sexy. And so he gets up every day so that he can go to the same train crossing area so that he can look at her from behind and just stare at her and just constantly imagine her doing really sexy stuff. And he keeps on going. She's so sexy. She is so sexy. Everything she does is sexy. It's like Mineta is the protagonist of My Hero Academia. It's it's like, why am I inside the pervert's head for every single one of the stories involving this? <laughs> I, I need to add at this point, uh, I had a lot of trouble finding this manga. And the one place I finally did that did have it missed a lot of chapters. I never encountered this person. So maybe that's what colors my that my, my perception a little bit differently. Because I feel like if I had seen that, I'd have been like, why is this in here? This is awful. There uh, is a girl who, uh, you know, starts having these, you know, kind of silly interactions because like her teacher is awkward around her. He's like, oh, I'm a teacher, you know, at a train station, at a train crossing area with with the student. Should I ignore her? Should I approach her? Will I come across as like weird if I approach her you know, outside of school and stuff? But then when he does greet her, he's like just this big dad about it you know he says something that is like very uncool and silly and she's just like trying not to laugh every time that that he comes close to her and it's like oh you know he's misinter he's he doesn't understand that she just finds his presence welcome and incredibly funny and he just doesn't get that 
for the most part, it's like, oh, that's 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 nice. And then like the third or fourth time that they that they uh, show up together, she gives him like, oh, a sweet little Valentine's chocolate gift. And then she teases him by saying, oh, but it's not friendship chocolate. And it's like, don't don't do that. Like, I, don't do that. Don't say like, oh, but it is. Is it a joke? Is she just kidding or not? It's like, I know that you're not kidding because you did the same thing with the character who is the daughter of the girl that the guy had a crush on and never hooked up with. And then she starts being like, Oh, maybe we could hook up together. It's like, stop doing this. It's there is so much just sex humor in this series. And even the stuff that I wouldn't find annoying when placed against the context of those gross ass things, it's just the same jokes over and over again. If you like raunchy humor, okay, I'm not going to hold that against you. But it's just I got sick of the same types of jokes over and over and over again. And maybe reading it week to week, that doesn't have the same effect because like, oh, you know, you read this, you read like the other series that are in the magazine, you get a little bit of variety and stuff. And then, you know, it's like if a, it's like if a stand up comedian, you know, only performs one type of joke, that's not always a problem, especially if they are, you know, grouped with, you know, comedians that have different acts or even the same kind of act you know you go for the stuff that you want or you get you know a bit of variety even though the person that is performing stuff always sticks to the one thing but i had to read like 50 plus chapters of this in a row and i was getting sick of that kind of humor by the end and i was just getting sick of a lot of the really gross characters that are in this yeah, so I clearly found a bad website to read this on. It must have been missing a lot of chapters because I was like, "Or oh, you found a good website to read." <laughs> it, just, it just condensed. I was gonna be like, "Oh yeah, dude, that chapter where like the de- like the weird teacher's just trying to be sociable with the the like the younger student, and he's just silly, and he's got like the homoric gimmick of like I'm saying my thoughts out loud without realizing." I'm like, "Oh, it's kind of a cute little story." Like she she's fine and endearing with how nerdy he is. I was like, "What a sweet story." You're like, "Yeah, but it gets." weird later on you're like well well they might have been missing the chapters where he got really weird this was like because there's no official release for this series this is like the first time i've really had to like go through like one of the like and i had trouble finding this series because it doesn't go by crossing time most places like it seemed to go exclusively by its, its japanese title at least where i was looking uh but maybe i'm just looking at the wrong places yeah. nick do kids still use manga panda uh fumikiri jikaten is what it's called yeah. uh in japanese i i just found it on crunchyroll dude like, oh. <laughs> oh you watch the anime no oh. it, the manga's on crunchyroll what <laughs> yes <laughs> i looked so hard for this thing and i never it came s- up immediately for me <laughs> oh, all right well my googling skills are really bad then all right i'm an idiot i'm sorry so, yeah, maybe uh, whatever site you were reading it on, they were like, you know what? Uh, we're going to have higher standards than Crunchyroll <laughs> in terms of the content we'll put on. Uh, yeah, I so I'm I'm oh, I wish that this option had been available to me. <laughs> just not read. <laughs> Nick, you could just like read like a condensed version. I was like, Nick, you could just read like there were only 30 chapters where I found it. I don't know why you made such a big deal about this. <laughs> Uh, now, I, like, look, like I said, this is a mixed bag series for me. I did find that there were certain chapters of this that were fine or even a little bit sweet. 
there uh, is this one like recurring uh, kind of ship teased couple that is just this really short girl and this really tall guy and they keep on getting caught in the rain. And there are some like pervy little bits that are done with them, but it's always like, oh, you know, he she climbs up on top of him in order to get so that they can both use the same umbrella uh, and stuff like that. It's at least like not going straight into, oh, and that they're both thinking about dicks and boobs right at this moment, which is honestly where it feels like a lot of the joke humor, the, a lot of the humor comes from is just like a character just straight up saying, you know, it's funny sex. And that's just kind of it. Uh, so. Uh, I. The more I read of this series, I felt like the less I liked it because it sort of seemed as if certain sets of characters kept on being pushed into that raunchier thing when they had been perfectly uh, fun and comforting when they stayed away from raunchier subject matter and stuff. Uh, and it feels like everything started to get a little bit the same year as time went on. Uh, that was my experience reading this manga. Uh, largely negative, but with some bright spots mixed in. So overall, I can't say that I hated it, but I was definitely tired of reading it by the time I was done. Okay. And alternatively, you can go to whatever <laughs> the legal manga site I decided to read it on. <laughs> experience like <laughs> a third of what the series has to offer, oftentimes with very poor scanlations and missing pages. You're like, that's eh, so bad. It's like this quaint little thing of life, you know? I think it's what we all get to enjoy. <laughs> oh, and the, and the brother and sister, where it keeps on hinting that they're that they're more they that they're really close for being brother and sister. Stop doing that shit. Just just yeah, mangaka, stop doing that. Just don't do don't go for like oh this is a trope so I'm gonna do incest hinty stuff. It's like you don't have to do it just because you see it everywhere else. God. All right. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> we did it. We finished it. Close crossing time. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, you had to do the whole thing. Crossing I know time. What manga <laughs> I want to read next. Okay, so we do still have a lot of manga to talk about. A lot, so let's keep a it lot going. Of manga. Uh, my hero, chapter number three hundred seventy-three. Friends. Color page. Yes. Uh, so we get just kind of like a more explicit explanation of what happened between with all of the pteromorphs uh, last time when basically previously we just had present Mike saying, oh, he broke through to all of them. Well, we, we get like five pages dedicated to, oh, yeah, showed you got through to all of them. That's basically it. Uh, <laughs> that's the first third of the chapter. Um there is like one of those kinds of like the bare minimum of acknowledgement of no, no, there was a, there was like, you know, some very legitimate feelings behind this huge uprising that happened, but we're just kind of like, going to like push it over here right now because Shoji says, Oh, the feelings that made you rise up were neither useless nor wrong, but let's use that light to change those who inflict harm until they find themselves to be ashamed of their cruelty, which. Um, it's a very optimistic and yeah. like sentiment for uh, a conflict that feels very neglected and unfocused upon in this series. And we've talked 
at length about how My Hero hasn't always had the best stuff of addressing what seemed like systemic issues in their universe and just being like, but if we were all friends... I guess, admittedly, it is a, like, 16-year-old who is saying this, but this does seem to be, like, the big wise thing that is said to make all the fighting stop, uh, and it does seem a bit lacking to me in terms of actually solving the uh, problems that were at the root of everything. But in the meantime, oh, there's a fight going on at the hospital. Spinner is being attacked by President Mike with his voice stuff. Uh, and uh, knocks him on his ass, and more importantly, the recording of Shigaraki's voice get goes flying out of his hand, and it and it breaks, and so Spinner realizes, oh no, now 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 we can't use this to wake up Kurogiri, uh, because that's how it would work. It would be just like Gigantomachia, I guess. I I, I guess. Um. So Spinner you know, tries to stumble towards uh, Kuragiri, or I guess more crawl, uh, and he realizes, like, what a bad situation that he is in, uh, and how he reflects on how empty his life was before joining the League of Villains, and he thinks to himself that all I wanted was to follow him until he could stand tall, and his eyes fall upon uh, one of Shigaraki's hands. I believe it's his face hand mask thing. Uh, that has also fallen uh, out of his jacket, I guess. Uh, President Mike runs forward. Uh, he thinks about uh, his possibly dead uh, and unrecoverable friend Shirakumo, and he you know, just like has this like kind of private conversation with him in his head, saying like, "Oh, you've missed so much. Our our, our buddy Aizawa has lost an eye and a leg now, uh, so." Don't you look, I need you to, I need, if you're not Shirakuma anymore, you should do us a favor. Just leave the memories alone. Uh, because, you know, if you come back as a monster, then that's going to take the good memories away from Aizawa too. Uh, but if you are still our good, our friend from back then, you know, wake the fuck up. Spinner gets up. He thinks about all those friendly conversations that he had with Shigaraki that we've never seen. Uh, but he grabs Shigaraki's hand and holds it up to Kurogiri's face and says, you've got to save Shigaraki. And there is a sound effect. And when we come back, Kurogiri is standing up. He looks very different, uh, but still covered in shadowy mist. And he is holding Shigaraki's hand in his like shadowy tendrils. And he says, I am the protector of Tomura Shigaraki. And that's the end of the chapter. Dang. Uh, this is obviously like, okay, the heroes are kind of fucked if he is mm. like not moved because he can immediately just completely shift everything in this and just have yep. Shigaraki go on a rampage. So I'm, uh, I guess I'll just wait and see. It's hard to like really predict this series uh at the moment so i guess we'll just follow along and see where this goes i do think that kuragiri's uh, new look looks cool uh you know being able to uh see like you know a different kind of uh, detail in his eyes and on his face and stuff i disagree but... the void face was the coolest monsters <laughs> monsters monsters <laughs> uh, all right 
<laughs> I feel like I'm not going to win this fight. So let's move on. All right, Nick, let's talk about crossing time. No, we're going to talk about. No, no uh, I'm done. <laughs> Undead unlock number 136. Never change. We get a color page for Andy and Fuko recording in an anime studio because their anime just got its uh, voice actors announced. So isn't that crazy? Good for them. Either that or they're recording a song. Crossing time. <laughs> time for us to crow out and time this crossing we do here. Okay. <laughs> I have more lyrics. Uh, but we don't have time for that right now. Stay tuned for the bonus podcast where I record a full album of Crossing Time. <laughs> it's going to be some quiz doing on her own. Uh, not showing up for that one. <laughs> Nick is legally required to be there. Oh, why did I sign that contract? <laughs> Because I, I delivered it to you like it was the autograph from a, a sick kid with cancer. I was like, please, mister, could you sign this for me? And then afterwards, I got up on my knees and I was like, gotcha, dickhead. And then I just kept that in my back pocket for a while. You just like filled out the rest of the contract after the fact. That's all I need. Like, I got what I came here for. I don't even want. I don't even want to get into how many ways that that would make the contract null and void. But take it to legal eagle, dickhead. I mean, Mister. I learned this stuff in my my introduction to business class. Like, tell right. me what you learned in my intro to suck these nuts class. Woo! Uh, all right, so we open this chapter with uh, Gina. Who we find out her backstory that she's always yes. been a bit of a recluse and she's apologizing to a grave where she's like, Hey, sorry I didn't finish this painting on time, but I'm gonna leave it here for you, Granny. It's a painting of your favorite place, Lake Bacal. Uh, and you know, I know that you've always been worried about me because all I really do is keep to myself in paint and I haven't really found friends. But I was honestly fine as long as you were always around. So I guess something's going to have to change. And why do things always have to change? Hmm. So she merely goes into town and that's all she could think about. She's like, all I'm doing is living. Yet everything around me is changing so quickly. I wish things would stay the same. The things you wish would stay the same are the ones that change the fastest. And it always comes without warning, the good and bad alike. And she's still kind of in her own world. She's not really paying attention to the fact that people are running from something. And when she looks up, she realizes, oh, that's what is a horrifying monster that we know as a UMA. Uh, and she's just caught, kind of like stunned in silence. Uh, the UMA is like, ah, this place is cold, so I will change it by heating it up and set start saying fire to everything. And it is UMA heat. And we just get uh, Gina saying, like, why, why, why are you changing this? You need to stop changing my world and we can see as it's happening, the brief sort of shimmers of her change ability is activating and like surrounding around her. But we also see up in the distance, the hole has opened up with Fuko and her gang. And they're like, all right, this is what you got to do. It's the one with the beret. So, you know, Nico pops out, starts activating the psychopods, uses it to create a cube around Unchange. And they're like, you did it. You like, you left a hole at the bottom, so she has air able to go through. But otherwise, she can't activate her ability beyond this square. Like, this is what we need, essentially. Uh, and Fuko 
lands on the ground and is like, I've been waiting for this day for so long. This is my chance to prevent Miss Gina's tragedy. And to do that, I have to snuff out its source, heat. So today's the day I get to kick your butt and add Miss Gina to the team as she pulls out a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so fucking awesome. Uh, of course, Gina is very confused. She's like, why do you know my name? What are you going to do with that gun? <laughs> and uh, Fuko is just like, Nico, help the citizens evacuate. I haven't lived 190 years for nothing. And she starts like firing bullets at the at UMA heat, but they just melt as soon as it gets close. So she's like, all right. In that case, I'm going to use G-Liner and create like sort of like a a heat resistant cloak and then I'll get point blank range and do it and you know UMA is like oh you're a negator she's like yeah and so what um there's just like a narration that then goes on about Fuko you know she and how unluck works and you know she can create these great strokes of unluck but there has always been a downside that it wouldn't work against targets she's not fond of uh and that's always been a bad you know weakness for her which is why for the first hundred years of her new life, she's worked to change that by creating bullets she like channels her unluck into. So she shoots him with an unluck bullet, basically. Yeah, Fuko gave herself a caster gun. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I love the bandoliers that she has around her arm, uh, which she reveals when she pulls her sleeve back. I And also, I love just how freaking confident she looks while she's you know jumping up towards this giant fire titan and like a cool action character at this point like where she hasn't been to this point it's very it's very like cool to see that um she fires the bullet is like hey everybody let's get going unlock's about to happen of course gina's like what are you talking about and fuko snatches her up from the ground and is immediately just like a hundred percent fuko she's like i've spent the last 170 years waiting to meet you this is so awesome and they're like you must have the wrong person she's like nope it's the right person you're so cute just like the day i met you at lake mccall you're the best i love you (laughs) uh and she's just like hey like i may have overtaken you in age my desire has always remained the same this whole time. My desire to ask you this. Will, and as this scene is happening, we see something coming from the sky. You and May Heat's just like, what's going on there? Kaboosh! Giant explosion. As Fuko just says, will you be friends with me, Miss Gina? And I love Gina's like, uh, what? I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> and Fuko's <laughs> so happy. Yay! <laughs> She's like, this is official. She starts kind of explaining a little bit of unchanged her. Uh, Chica, uh, not Chica. What's her name? Isn't it, isn't it Ichiko? Or Ichiko, like I think. I'm trying to remember. There's, I, I know that in my mind, I'm like, Ichika is the one from Black Clover. But I'm like, it's not mm-hmm. Ichiko. Ichiko, I think. Um, Ichiko is like, hey, there's zero fatalities. Uh, we have... <laughs> almost no property damage yeah. nico leveled leveled five city blocks almost no property damage yeah nico says man it's unreal which i don't maybe that's an ability we'll see down the line somewhere nick you never know yeah uh and they're like yeah this is a stroke of unluck and we just see the giant crater like enormous that was where uma heat was and it looks like the heroes have won except they're like wait that isn't a meteorite. 
there's someone there. <laughs> and we see a giant pole landed in the ground with what remains of UMA heat underneath it. And who should going, be there? Going good. <laughs> who should be there, Nick? But Fang, I believe was his name. I can't remember 100%, but I think it was Fang, uh, who says, yeah. It seems I was right to tail this apparition. Today is the day we do battle, Fuko Izumo. And uh, Fuko uh, just so casually was like, Huh, man, went a little overboard using my favorites. <laughs> You're like, okay. Yeah. So uh, one thing after another, she, Fuko doesn't seem particularly worried, so I'm sure that they'll be fine. So. Yeah, it sounds like this is like, I know he looks super intense, but I imagine this is a relationship that <laughs> like Fuko's just like, yeah, every so often I deal with Fang, this guy who never ages or whatever. He's super cool. I get it. Yeah, well, and this is a way to, you know, prevent bad stuff from happening to uh, to Shin, Shen. So, yes. yeah, that's very good. Good chapter. Yes. All right, Nick. Uh, uh, let me get cozy in my seat here. Uh, 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 all right. Uh, Boruto number 75, the domain of gods. Oh, man, look at Damon looking all stupid. He's so cool, Nick. Look at him. He's got like little shorts and a jacket. All right. So cool. We get a recap of Ada and Damon's abilities, and as with every time you get a recap of their abilities, something has been changed about their abilities in the terms of the details of how they work. This is getting infuriating. Does Kishimoto not know how he wants his characters to work? He changes his mind like once every two chapters about some of these details. With Damon, uh, it's like, okay, Damon reflects all attacks against him. And any inaction that would inflict harm, harm on him. And though it's necessary for his hand to be touching another person, his ability will also transfer to the person currently touching him. Which we may have seen demonstrated before, but I think this is the first time we've heard it explicitly laid out. Shikamaru was explaining all of this stuff to Boruto, and Bo uh, not Boruto, to Naruto. And Naruto's like, oh, this makes my head hurt all these abilities. He, he reflects all attacks. She can see everything and also makes everyone horny for her. Okay? We do it we good? Yeah. That, that well, that's it. Well it does finally confirm the age old question. How old is age? Yeah. <laughs> and the weird lose lose situation we were in, and it's like Well, we're just kind of kind of lose lose. Yeah. It is established that Ada can only see things because she can see past events as well as everything that's happening presently. She can't see into the future, but she can only see stuff that has happened during her lifetime, which goes back 16 years. So she's 16 years old, which means that her having a crush on Kawaki is like, yeah, okay, fine. But her making adults everywhere lust after her it's like oh oh no this is bad this is a bad thing so it's not great it's certainly yeah. it's certainly not a good thing yeah uh so amato says damon is an irritating pesky brat <laughs> he sucks moving on <laughs> 
and he says, like, look, you know, don't aim any murderous intent towards him, no matter what, because that, too, will be reflected. It depends on certain conditions, but it will all rebound back to you. And Boruto is like, huh? And Damon's like, you want to test it? And Kawaki looks at him, and then an invisible fist punches his head to the side. <laughs> like... If this was legitimately a JoJo stand, this would be kind of a cool thing. But it's very dorky in this realm of just like, I'm imagining like, I want to punch a stupid kid in the face. It's just like, oh, God damn it. I got punched. So I'm pretty sure last chapter it was said that Damon had to be touching someone for his ability to reflect their attacks. And now just thinking about attacking him makes them die, which is how it was when it was first introduced. It's both. It's they, they explained it in this chapter for him to reflect an attack. He still has to physically be touching another person or touching another person who the reflect is going to bounce off of, like what he did with code. But this is a separate thing that could just be done. Like it even reflects murderous thoughts, even if he's not touching them, which amounts to them kind of getting like a hard punch to the face, I guess. It's kind of unclear exactly what happened to Kawaki there. He just kind of looks like he got punched in the face, which I'm like, I don't know. I guess that's an appropriate response to thoughts. Question mark. But Amato, how did you invent so many wonderful things? Well, I didn't invent the things, Naruto. They were actually part of an advanced kingdom of science from 900 years ago. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm getting that confused by the thing that's happening in One Piece right now, which has <laughs> the exact same reveal going on. Uh, the abilities that uh, they have were actually transplanted from their actual originator, a god-like being, Otsutsuki Shibai. Oh, hey, Otsutsuki, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shikimaru says, who is Otsutsuki Shibai? Where are they? And Amato says, don't worry, <laughs> he's no longer with us. All that exists are his remains. I'm sure this won't come back in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. Because when the Notsutsuki is gone, that means they're just gone. They never come back into the story, right? Yeah. Uh, it was like a god, uh, millennia, the uh, power of uh, DNA transplants from Shibai's remains. Yeah, you, they were like, you know, mosquitoes that sucked his blood or something. He got them from out of the amber in order to transplant these super chakra abilities into them. Also, Katasuke is on the line with them, I guess. I guess he's here. Uh, and Shikamaru says, is what he's saying technologically possible? And Katasuke is like, I mean, sure, why not? Uh, like, <laughs> yep. You've seen this. You've seen the robot that this guy invented, who has sh like chakra-like abilities. Like, why are you doubting him now? The, the, you've seen the artificial beings and cloning technology stuff that have been at work. You've seen Kawaki have abilities transplanted into him. So why are you doubting this part? Come on. Uh, Amado says that Shiba's various abilities were incredible. He said that he could weave signs as with ninjutsu and generate storms with a wave of his hand. Blah, blah, blah. He was super powerful. And he gave the name Shinjutsu. Neither ninjutsu nor sage arts. They were phenomena equivalent to divine miracles. Okay, so 
It's, it's another you set can, of abilities. You can do ninjutsu without hand signs. It's whereas, another set of. Really hasn't felt like much of an issue in this universe, but all right, it's he's like a god. He can cast two different types of magic. <laughs> so yes, fire and smoke magic. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> Uh, and Mario's like, you could say the ninjutsu itself fundamentally attempts to reproduce stuff that is similar to shinjutsu. Blah, 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 blah. Serata gets upset because she's listening in on this because they're monitoring the house. And she's like, oh, are you saying there are ninjutsu or just a pale imitation of shinjutsu? And Mario's like, I'm just stating facts here. And blah, blah, blah. Uh, Shikamaru says... I've got a question. With karmic resurrection, he ought to live forever. So why is he dead? Did someone kill him? And I was like, I don't know. We'll find out later. We'll find out later. It's fine. He's like, he's probably just fucking transcended to godhood or whatever, dude. Man. <laughs> like, think man. about it, dude. This is not a cigarette that I'm smoking, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is pure bath salts. <laughs> <laughs> they, they get him sober an hour, you know, and like the next day, he's like, "What shinjutsu?" I was just making all that stuff up, man. Come on, <laughs> he's like, "That's not a thing. It's crazy that's, doing doing nin- ninja arts with that hand signs. Fucking ridiculous." Fucking crazy. <laughs> Did I tell you that my daughter was Delta? That <laughs> was so high. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, speaking of which. Uh, you know, he's going on for a while, and 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 then Burger just says, "What the fuck are we talking about?" Yo, dude. And I was like, "Oh man, I was getting carried away there, dude." Oh yeah, Osusuki powers contain hope to make what is impossible to us possible, such as bringing my daughter back to life. And everyone's like, "Bring his daughter back to life," and who should show up by where Sarada and Mitsuki are, but Delta. And doing Delta like the most hip swing struts. walk. Yeah, she's fucking bad bitch stomping into this place. Boom, 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 boom. What is Delta doing here? Oh, I really wanted to see Ada. I guess she's still under the effects of Ada's charm, even though she's well away from her now. Uh, okay. So. So I was like, look, you 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 can't be here. And Delta's like, please, let me just look at her. And so I was like, no, you're clearly way too suggestible. And I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> if you stick around here. Um, and Delta resorts to going, please, pretty please. Until, oh gosh. Smire or something like that. Smire, yeah. She shows up running after Delta and, and she says the code phrase to stop her. Time to go to sleep. Not a good code phrase. Not a good nope. code phrase. I'm not going to lie. Nope. Also, this is so problem. <laughs> this is such a fucked up like existence they've put this poor person into. Who we find out in a couple chapters or in, or in a couple pages like has a, a, a significant reason for existing. Like Yep. Not just like a pure robot or whatever, but like, hey, we fought this. She was essentially like a bad person. So like we defeated her. But then we were like, hey, she's kind of useful as a tool. So we took her back and like rewrote her programming so she couldn't not be loyal to us. Also, we just turn her off when we want. And you're like, that doesn't seem this seems bad. This seems like literally using a person as a weapon. And when they have too much autonomy, you're like, I'm just going to turn her off. I'm done with this. 
Quinn, it's too important to be able to stop the Diamond King, so we needed to use blood magic to control his mind. <laughs> That's fair. You we know, had to do it. When you phrase it like that, you know, but yeah, you're doing 100%. the good for everybody. 100%. This is very, this is just like not a good look. So, uh, so yeah, Sumire has managed to stop Delta. You ever think that, like, because you like Naruto, like the entire thing was about like you know trusting somebody, not seeing them for a monster, seeing them who they actually are, and like what role do like ninjas play in all this, and like him just being like it's like Naruto is always canonically kind of dumb, like he's just very like yeah. simple kind of dummy person. So like when this thing passed by his desk, he was like, "Should I have, should I have any character objections to this?" That's a lot of words. Boom, <laughs> approved. <laughs> and of course this happens with you know one of the few featured female characters in this series too yes. it's just like not a good trend that we see continuing on in Boruto. uh so they they're like man yeah the the, the effect that ada's ability is having on delta is, is crazy man this is dangerous and stuff Meanwhile, oh right, the dead daughter thing. Amado tells the sad story of his daughter Ekebi. It is like, look, Shats. have you ever read? Have you ever read a "I need to bring my dead sibling, child, wife, father, mother back to life" story before? Yeah. My my daughter had sad anime girl disease. There's no there's no recovery. You know what was I to do? And uh, take that, take the technology and techniques that you, we have learned about recently in Boruto, put them together. The story that is involved is exactly like what you would expect. Oh, I preserved Akebi's brain patterns and stuff. I made her a clone body, put it in the clone body. But she was like a total stranger, a total stranger that was sitting very provocatively in nothing but a towel. She's my daughter. But man, did I not give her clothes to make her decent? Uh, <laughs> I just she didn't hand, have... I just hand her a really long flowing gown, and I was like, "Welcome back, my child." Yep. No, no, no. Sit while while crossing your legs. Yes, that's very important that you do that. And and the reveal uh, here is that this daughter he created looked identical to Delta, and the yes. quick presumption you would make is like, "Oh, that was Delta," or Del this then became Delta, or something like that. She got, you know, something, something like that, which then leads to a lot of questions. <laughs> as right. We'll 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 get into, I guess, at the end here. Yes. But essentially, like Amato says, I made a lot of different attempts, but every time that I made a new body, she wasn't actually a cabbie because she didn't have any of her memories. I can't seem to replicate them, and I can't seem to replicate her personality. And I realized that bringing someone back from the dead, that's just something that the gods can do. Humans can't do it. And then that was when I realized that my daughter no longer existed. And, okay, maybe if you had spent a bit more time on this, this could have been a nice emotional moment. Nope, we have to move on. Oh, Tsutsuki Ishiki appeared before me and said that he could reunite me with her. Uh, not Ishiki. Uh, yeah, Jigen Ishiki. Yes. Got the multiple names. This guy, this character lasted so little time, he did not need to have two names. So, <laughs> so Ishiki showed up, and that was why Amato started working for Kara. Okay, makes sense. And he was like, oh, and I haven't given up on my daughter. 
Jigen never specified how he was going to revive my daughter, but I always worked towards taking him down and discerned the mechanism of karmic resurrection. It's what Gishiki was trying to do through vessels, and my attempt to reproduce Akebi using a clone was almost identical. And my failed attempts... Ah! Uh, oh, Shinjutsu karmas! Oh, yeah! Oh, uh, uh, and, uh, yeah. Uh, Serata seems to realize that Delta was probably uh, Amato's daughter, uh, because she's looking back at her. Uh, and uh, blah blah blah, karma, data, etc. Uh, and uh, then Shikamaru addresses Ada and says, "Yeah, I don't really like trust this guy. Uh, so, can you like, can you check with your Senrigan to see if he even like had a daughter?" And it's like, "Yeah, we'll trust this person's word <laughs> over Amato's." Shikamaru, you're the smart character. So, uh. But Ada's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I actually find this kind of amusing. So sure, I'll do, I'll do this favor for you, basically. While she is looking this up, you know, going back through her TiVo, uh, Boruto hears a voice, oh, a voice, and it said, oh, it's Momoshiki, and Boruto, you know, starts speaking mentally with the Momoshiki in his head, and it's like, what's going on? It's like, oh, well, I've, our thoughts are crossing over because of stuff. Yep. So, uh, starts talking about, I was like, oh, wait, so, so what, what's going on here? And, and Momoshiki says, don't let Kawaki catch on to what's going on here. Uh, and Momoshiki, and he says, there's something off about what Amato has been saying. I don't really trust it. The Shibai part that he's talking about, that is true. He was a Notsutsuki who is no longer in this dimension, he went to the acid dimension where all of like, these should possibly ow. be. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> uh, and he also says, I too have observed this plane a long time and have an intimate understanding of all extant Shinjutsu conveniently. Uh, and Barta says, Oh, wait, so you're saying he's lying about his daughter? And Moji's like, Oh, <laughs> just get it out. Okay. But he says it's Ada's ability that bothers me. Amato asserted that Ada's abilities are Shinjutsu, and her Senrigan is certainly so. But that love charm power cannot be. We would never invent such a pervy ability <laughs> as that. That'd be gross. We're not gross. I don't want people touching me. Ew. So, uh, yeah, he's like, like I said, I know all Shinjutsu. I've never heard of that. So it could be that Mao's lying about that. All right. But, you know, that raises the question of where it came from and also what else he's lying about, essentially. That's why I'm suspicious, because that's the detail he gave. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Ada stops going back through her memory banks and says, yeah, it looks like Amado did have a daughter named Sanzu Akebi. She died when she was 24. That's That part that she told us about is at least true. Uh, and Shikamaru's like, no, okay, thanks. And Amado's like, hey, you questioned my honesty and you have nothing else to say? I was like, what, you want a handwritten apology? Like, everyone's so weird. Everyone acts so weird all the time in this series. They don't, no one acts like people at all. (sighs) So, Momoshiki and Barto keep on talking about stuff. And Boruto says to him, how long are we going to be linked like this? And Momoshiki is like, well, I mean, I don't want this either. And our thoughts keep on leaking to each other against our wills. 
And Boruto says, well, you better not be trying to trick me. And Momoshiki says, babble away. I, for one, hope it will be brief. Which is, if it were in a like more important context, would be a cool line. But it's just like this throwaway thing that happens. Uh, and then Boruto gets a vision. Oh, my God. It's, well, it's well, a vision. Boruto sees it can go both ways. So he looks into his mind. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, peers into Momoshiki's mind and he sees, quote, the, the future, maybe. Uh, and uh, it's flashes of Inachika Cho Jr. and uh, Sarada shouting out to Mitsuki who uh, is in, like, full demonic form while staring into Boruto's eyes, and then Kawaki, when he's in his, like, release form, staring down at him, and Boruto goes, what was that? And then Momoshiki says nothing, and Boruto looks over at Ada, who is looking back at him, and that's the end of the chapter. What's gonna happen? Crazy stuff. Um, Look, this chapter is not as bad as most Porto chapters are, if just, just only tired. for the case that it's like it's non-stop dialogue, uh, and then we of course have to have Ada and Damon's powers explained for like the third time in this series because now they have to get the official word of what their powers do, which is essentially what we already knew they did. Regardless, the big thing that I feel like is supposed to come out of this is like, oh hey, Delta is something else. Like it's kind of unclear because the way. And I, I might just be misunderstanding the the explanation here. He says um, somewhere along here, it's it's after like the weird shot of <laughs> Delta to towel or whatever, where he's just like, I kept remaking her. So I don't know if that's meant to imply he kept trying to recreate the brain patterns or if there's like many clones. Because also, isn't Ada something he created? Or am I misremembering that? I thought that was like, yeah, right. a, and that's why he's not like, he doesn't get like love charmed by her or whatever because they're related. <sighs> that would make sense. Yes, maybe he had another daughter, and they, I don't know. But maybe uh, that's the real one. Like I don't know. Maybe uh, Delta could be, you know, like her order. You know, like the fourth in the line or something like that of the you know recreations of Akebi that he tried to make. Maybe it does seem weird if that's the reason why like i guess i guess you just you get far enough from the source but i'm like if that is like if if um fuck i'm I'm blanking her name ada if ada is supposed to be if some relation to amato and delta has some distant connection to amato why is delta falling for ada wouldn't they be even if it's very distantly genetically or whatever related or something like that Yeah, I'm sure that there will be a 20 long, 20 page long explanation when we come to that point. This is just one of those things where I'm like, I don't maybe this is a good twist. I'm just having to like stop and try to process what this means in the the explanation of everything. I feel like the the obvious like assumption for a while has just been like Ada's Amato's kid. Um, But I guess we still need to see exactly what all the details are and what delta is is she actually a cabbie that like the cabbie clone is she a reconstructed version blah 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 blah. yeah we'll find out eventually i'm sure right now nick i got a surprise for you straight from japan a new chapter of orto i would run away i cannot (laughs) do this now (laughs) 
right, let's talk about Chainsaw uh, Man then. Chapter 112, Between Cat and Criminal. Uh, the school is a shambles, or at least this particular part of the building is. Yor, Yoru and Asa are checking out the rubble. Uh, where there are the fragments of the school uniform sword, which are lying amongst it. And uh, your just comments that, uh, yeah, the weapon was strong, but it was also more fragile because it was strong. So, hmm. Uh, Asa thinks back to the girl who had the uh, earrings that kind of looked like pull cords. Uh, and she says, she called me her little sister. So do, do you know who that was? You're just like, eh, I think she was just some mad one. Uh, and Asa, you know, doesn't know really what happened at that point because, you know, during the scuffle, she hit her head. She was, you know, unconscious during a lot of that fight. Uh, and she just says, I don't know what that girl did, but she, of course, made Yuko and, you know, healed her. So was that the justice devil, maybe? But her thoughts interrupted because she is approached by four students, including the girl that she saw before <gasps> oh and uh there's this uh, tall guy who greets her introducing them as the student council slash devil hunter club which i guess makes all the sense in the world when you get down to it why not <laughs> that is how things would tend to work probably a lot in this world uh and yeah he takes his hat off he's got like a a, 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 a bandana around his uh, head and he says yeah i'm the club slash student council president haruka isayumi and haruka says yeah we lost two members after the attack one quit the other died makes sense uh but he says we also have something to game because akoku here told me how you fought and from the sound of it you put up a better fight than him and on top of that you're a prospective club member we will gladly accept you into our club any questions? <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Uh, Akoku, by the way, we did see, I think, struggling with like a pitchfork or something like that. He's the guy who got his face gouged. He's fine. He's just got like eye patch. But uh, one of the others that she attacked, definitely dead. Uh, with, so. with, well, we know one got like pierced through the stomach and then one got her fucking ass like knocked out a window. And I'm wondering right. which one of those, which the one, survived. which one like picked themselves back up and is like, back to work. <laughs> well, one of them died and one of them quit. So... Okay. So, so maybe, okay. Yeah. So he's the one who lived. Which one of them quit? Like, which one? Right. I have to assume it's the girl who got knocked out of window. Uh, like, window, just like right. every bone broken. Just like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this anymore. <laughs> Or maybe like this guy's, I mean, because this guy is, as we find out, not the most reliable source of information and not the most trustworthy. Nick, he says so he's maybe, Chainsaw Man. He's got to be Chainsaw Man. The monk is called Chainsaw Man. Chainsaw Man. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe uh, when she, you know, embarrassed herself that way, he was just like, you're out or something like that. He's like, you're pathetic. Get out of here. <laughs> She's in a hospital bed like. Oh, no, I'll be back. I'll be back soon. I swear. She's like, I'm getting stronger every day. Champ, he's like, eh, we don't need you. <laughs> uh, Yoru takes over Asa's body after, in order to ask a question, which is, oh, yeah, I've heard the Chainsaw Man's a member of this club. Do you know his identity? And the guy just pulls up his shirt, and there's a, 
a pull cord dangling from his chest. He's like, here's your answer. I'm Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Which, I mean, obviously we know this is false, but whatever, what you know, this? is... Yeah, whatever is going on here, it definitely looks like if it's like just a fake pull cord thing, it's a pretty convincing effect. Well, it could be legitimate to some degree. We did see that shot last week of like a chainsaw man chainsaw having person. killed uh whatever her name was, Yuko. Yuko. Um and maybe there's somebody out there with the ability to make other people like a fake chainsaw man or whatever. Maybe. So, uh, Yoru is at first shocked by this, but then she, you know, she gets a determined expression on her face and she just says, I've got something I need to do. I'll see you later, Chainsaw Man. And, uh, they just kind of like depart peacefully. Uh, and while Yoru is going on her way, Asa's talking to her and says, was well, that guy, is that guy really Chainsaw Man? And Yoru says, well, the starter proves it. Uh, and Asa says, but would he really out himself like that? She's like, Which... everyone I meet just keeps claiming to be Chainsaw Man. Just wonderful use of irony. Like, come on, Chainsaw Man would never reveal himself like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, when Asa says, well, why didn't you fight him if he is Chainsaw Man? And Yaru, you know, admits like, I couldn't beat Yuko by myself, so there's no way I can beat Chainsaw Man. Look, I'm strong. It's just that I need to get a strong weapon before I can beat him. So you need to make me a stronger weapon than your super strong uniform sword. Or I'll kill you. Which is her way of saying please, it seems like. Um, but Asa is pretty like on board with this plan. Uh, so she's like, yeah, I'll make you the strongest weapon ever. You got to beat him. Uh, and when asked why she's being obedient, Asa says, look, the, the sooner you're gone, the better, which is very sad because I'm pretty sure that's not how this is going to work. Uh, I mean, Asa goes on about how it's like, look, as long as you're around inside me, I'm going to be miserable and all the people around me are going to be miserable. And if it was just me, then that'd be fine but I refuse to drag someone else down with me. I, I'm, I'll do anything to stop it. And Yoru gets this, I think, legitimately happy smile on her face. Which is very scary. <laughs> yeah, I love that little grin. I'm like, yeah. Uh, and then there's a visual of someone stepping on a chicken. Which uh, could actually be happening or it could be metaphorical. I'm not I think sure. It's, I think it's metaphorical in this case. Wasn't that the thing she did? Previously, she like accidentally stepped on a chicken and crushed it. I'm not talking about well, Bucky. Uh, did that? Oh yeah, because she it was in her dream. She's running through a corridor full of chickens. Something right. like I am. Yeah. So she's just seen all the violence that she keeps kind of propagating. Asa uh, looks over a out over a street later on, and uh, Yoru says, "Okay, look, you know, I don't need to use a human as a weapon as, as long as it's something that's like important to you. That's fine, and it's got to be more important to you than the uniform you got from your mother." Uh, but Asa can't think of anything that's more important to her. A cat comes by. Yay! Yeah, ten out of ten chapter. Look, yeah. it's a cat. <laughs> Uh, and just comes by the windowsill and Asa starts petting it and it just is like, yep, this is a good place to be. Settles in into her arms while she pets it. It's great. Uh, and you're always like, well, you could make that cat into your pen into a weapon. 
And Asa says, I would rather kill a human than kill a cat, which I, I agree. Mean, this, I agree. First off, A plus. But secondly, I mean, of course, like showing off like, oh, you know, our two protagonists have a lot of really strong similarities between them uh, because Tinji literally would rather kill multiple people than a single <laughs> cat. <laughs> Well, did he really kill them or did he just let them die? You know, Nick, we go back. Yeah. To, we go back to the immortal court case of Batman v. Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> was it really? Was it really killing him or is he just not going to save him? <laughs> well, it, these are different things. <laughs> if I recall, that uh, that case was declared a mistrial because Ra's al Ghul wouldn't show up to the trial for some reason or another. <laughs> Always bad with that. Well, they thought they saw a dream of him, and they're like, "I ah, must be here." But then he oh, walked. He, he walked into the shadows, and it was kind of unclear if he was ever alive or not. Still. Was he? And then once Batman's back was okay, it was fine. Uh, and then he just went to Paris or something like yeah. that, and it was weirdly obvious about it. I was about to be like spoilers, and I was like, "One, we've definitely talked about the end of that movie definitely before." And two, the movie's like fifteen years old. <laughs> it's getting up there now, definitely. Oh. So uh, Asa says, like, look, I don't want to just I don't want to kill just someone. Can I just like kill a criminal, someone who deserves to die? And Yoru actually like seriously like answers this after kind of, I think, looking at her with an expression of like, oh, my God, uh, disbelief. Uh, but she says, no, it's not going to work because to create a powerful weapon, you need powerful guilt. Your criminal compromise. Great term. Uh, won't make a strong weapon because it's an easy compromise. And Asa says, well, I'm not going to freaking turn this cat into a weapon. So Yoru says, then pick someone between cat and criminal. Bizarrely, bizarrely poetic, turn of phrase, but I love it. So, uh, you know, Asa looks out past the cat, which, you know, is no longer getting pets, so it goes on its merry way. <laughs> it's, I like it glares at her at first, like because there's like a very po- there's like a poetic thing of like what is the line you're willing to cross? Methinks the most powerful weapon is between these two lines, and there's like a judgmental stare from a cat in one of those panels. And I was like, sometimes cats do know how to like stare right into the very soul of your being, so I, I do get that. Yep. So Asa looks out over the crowd of people again, and she spots. Denji, who's picking up little cigarette butts off the ground, putting them in a little like litter collection bag. And Asa thinks, like, oh, I mean, this guy's an idiot. He's a loser. I guess he's actually kind of a good person. And meanwhile, here I am thinking about murdering someone. But she continues to watch Denji uh, as he sits down on a bench and then takes the crumpled up and disposed cigarettes apart and then pours them into bits of paper and then puts rolls them up into new cigarettes. And Asa's like, what the hell is he doing? And he starts to move. So she gets down from her perch and she follows him into an alleyway where he sells them to a homeless guy for like 15 bucks for the pack. And then leaves as Asa's like, he's ripping off homeless people. What the fuck? <laughs> But then she says, he's between cat and criminal, but not so bad that he deserves to die. And Yaru says, he isn't a bad enough human to deserve death. But to defeat Chainsaw Man and get your body back, do you have any other choice? 
think of it as a necessary evil to put an end to a nightmare. Oh, yes. And Asa thinks about Yuko and she goes after Denji and catches his attention. And uh, Denji turns to look at her and is like, oh, wait, you're you're that chick who hates Chainsaw Man. And Asa says, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm selling smokes because part-time jobs are against the school rules. <laughs> um, and Asa's like, what the hell is your problem? He's like, get off my back. I'm a busy dude. I got a lot going on. So Asa's like, look, are you, are, are you, are you busy tomorrow too? Yeah, I'm busy tomorrow, the day after that. And Asa looks kind of disappointed, and Denji's like, but why are you asking? And Asa gets this very weird expression on her face, and then says, well, if you're free tomorrow, would you go on a date with me? And Denji looks at her in disbelief, and I literally, when I first read this chapter, was thinking to myself, how long is it going to take before he instantly says yes? It's not immediately, but it is faster than the time it took for me to pull out my phone to time it. Yeah. So <laughs> it was pause a date. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, so kind of this is something that's been hinted at before. The idea of Asa and Denji. Not necessarily even being ship teased, but like being put on a date. And as it turns out, it's so that Asa can Kill Denji so that she can kill Chainsaw Man. I just which is want things to work out for these two crazy kids, Nick. A great example of dramatic irony. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Ah, Denji. Think about the last time that you went on a date with a girl and how badly that turned out. Think about every time you've been on a date with a girl. The best date on a girl that you've went to in terms of how it turned out was the one that you went on with Kobeni when you were chainsaw. <laughs> and like seven people died. <laughs> yeah, but she didn't try and kill you and you didn't kill her. <laughs> that is true. All right, Nick. We have to get to it. Let's yeah. talk about Eden Zero, chapter 217. Father, mother, and daughter. And we have a cover page of Rebecca and a cat bikini because that's the kind of chapter this is going to be. We open, it really is. We open with Zhao Mei, who's like, hey, you know, here's like what happened. The Eden Zero managed to successfully escape. Uh, uh, not Feather Holy just left. She was like, I'm done. Now our mission's done. They're very it's different okay. characters. You don't, have, you, you don't have to remember her anymore, apparently. Yeah, she's just going to be gone now. And we kind of... Oh, my God. We, we cut to that scene very briefly. Uh, she's like, well, we don't have to act, act uh, execute my immaculate military operation. I'm like, what was it? It's like, oh, it was my plan to arrest Shiki after defeating Dead End Crow. And I'm like, well, why was it immaculate? She's like, because I was going to seduce him with my body. And you're like... Oh, yeah, like that thing you did with the guys at the water park where you melted them with acid. I guess. I guess you were going to arrest him with acid. Very cool. Very funny. Excellent. Yeah. I have three things to say really quickly. Go ahead. One, the image of Holy cupping her boobs was saying, I'm going to, I was going to seduce Shiki. Like, I mean, it, 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 
everyone should know that that wasn't going to work. She should know that wasn't going to work. If she had really gotten to know Shiki and the rest of the crew to any extent, she should have recognized, like, yeah, this boy doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, he. Sh- th- this scene should have concluded with her saying, yeah, with Shiki, it probably never would have worked. Like, because and that would have at least shown that she had bonded with the crew. Speaking of, second point. Well, glad we got to know Holy. She's gone now. Goodbye. I guess she's going to show up again. But like, yeah, this does feel like a lot of wasted points of being like, no, Holy is a part of our crew. Yeah. Even if it's just temporary, she is part of us. And then she's like, nah, I'm just going to go back to being a space cop, I guess. It's like, all right, I guess. But it felt like, I don't know. Maybe we'll get to it. Let's not judge it now. Third point. Okay. They got away from the Eden's one off screen. <laughs> well, Nick, it's it's like uh, it's like Star Trek. You just got to hit warp and then you're gone because they went back to the soccer <sighs> cosmos. That's why. And yeah, they, re- they they touched home base. And so they yeah. can no longer be. Tagged. <laughs> yeah, they're like all the all the oxen free. Can't touch us now. Um, yep. Zao Mei continues like, yep, uh, all the mothers got sent back to their home planet and were buried. So cool. Like, that just happened. Off screen again. <laughs> just <laughs> these emotional moment for these characters saying goodbye to their mothers, several of which they never even met before. Boom. They just got sent off screen. Except for St. Fire Knox, who's, of course, alive. And Rebecca's mom. But then we had to deal with the that's fallout. That's right. Yeah, St. Elmo's fire is being left on the ship. That's that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we cut to that conversation immediately with the one good joke of this chapter, which was Rebecca's eyes just wide open, be like, "What?" And Connor's like, "Yeah, I, I'm your dad." What? No, no. But then he makes it weird immediately. He's like, "Call me daddy." And she's like, "No, no, 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 no." Just no, no, no it's no. so many weird moments with the two of them through this chapter. Like, yeah. Not to linger on it right now, because there's gonna be, they're gonna be coming up, but there's so many. I guess, yeah. Uh so he's uh, Rebecca's of course like, why didn't you say anything before? He was just like, I didn't really there wasn't really like a good time and I didn't know for a while. Cause like I didn't find out until Noah told me. Like, do you remember back when we visited Blue Garden for a reason I can't truly remember at this point. It feels relatively uh-huh. irrelevant to the scale of this story. And then we were chased out by Feather, which really felt like kind of an unnecessary uh-huh. thing. But it introduced Feather to us, I guess. So that was, I guess, the important thing. Uh-huh. Also, Noah whispered into my ear like, hey, you're Rebecca's mom, her father. <laughs> and <laughs> which makes it because immediately you're like, wait a minute. That scene happened before the water uh, park where you were caught peeking at Rebecca's butt and boobs. But Dara was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I will recontextualize that scene. For you remember, he was wearing sunglasses at the time. And what if behind his sunglasses, Captain Connor were crying and <laughs> not luring at his own daughter? Yes! Marvelous! I've created art! Uh, Rebecca is, of course, very angry. She's like, hey, what the fuck? You're my dad who abandoned me? And she's like, I, he's like, I didn't abandon you. Your mom took me from you. In fact, it was kind of me who got, like, abandoned from you in that way. And they're like, yeah, I guess these two are a lot alike. And it's like, I guess, when you draw them literally the same way, but I don't know if their personalities are all that much alike. But regardless... 
Oh, I gotta try to. <sighs> Some reason this really weirds me out. Hermit is like, oh, hey, that reminds me. Connor did talk about camera angles once. This is <laughs> Hero. You programmed a game. <laughs> Can you not think of a better way to make a gaming jargon connection than this? And he's like, yeah. Connor at one point said, blow me down. This lady's camera angle be tightly fixed. And they're like, that's something like someone would like have tunnel vision. Like normally you'd say that person has tunnel vision, but he specifically talked about camera angles. He had that term in his mind from watching Rebecca's gaming streams. So he's watched all of her videos. And it's like, including. Yeah. Well, okay. He says, yes, I watched. Rebecca's like you watch all of my videos and he's like not all of them but yeah and it's like a kind of like a weak moment for him and he's like yeah I did Uh watch that one where you had honey dripping down your cleavage that were some fine work and Rebecca is obviously like you're my father you should be angry about that and then Weiss goes to look up that video and she actually did it I'm still very confused about what Rebecca's gimmick as a B-cuber is if I there was she just put on cat ears and just went places. Yeah. Like, I, why was there a video where she's like, I'm going to pour honey on my boobs this episode. Also, apparently it's just Pornhub. <laughs> B cubes. Just, you could yeah. just post actual like soft core pornography on that site. Um, but that time when they, when she met all of the B cubers, I like there apparently was none of the uh, ASMR sexy, you know, or any, any of that stuff uh, in that group. Uh, clearly, they just make so much money that they were too well protected. Yeah. So, uh, why she dripped honey down her cleavage? Question that's not really answered. Like, what? No objective established. Like, did you just accidentally isn't... do it? Was that the point of the video? Like, you know, I'm kind of curious, but we'll never know. Uh, there is supposed to be a joke there. Like, obviously, it's just the horniness, and then the bottom panel is Rebecca's boobs because we're cutting to a bath scene, which is meant to uh, visually create the image of honey going down Rebecca's boobs, I guess. Um, but I suppose the joke is supposed to be that Connor just brings this up in a way that's not like weird. Like it would be strange for father to bring up like the most sexually kind of explicit video of her collection. Um, and it's in that weird reign of like, I can't tell if captain Connor is still kind of horny for his daughter or if the joke is supposed to be, he's just dumb it doesn't understand this context. But based off the fact that he looked at her, her boob and butt earlier before, I'm going to say he's just horny and weird. Maybe he was watching the video and he did sincerely think that there was a lot of great craftsmanship. Via, That's where he uh, thought the camera angle was really uh, tightly fixed. Yeah. He's just watching this video of, of, of Rebecca dripping sticky stuff down her naughty bits. And he's, and he's also crying like very, very, like, oh, he's, <laughs> he's like, like this boy, me boy, me little girl. <laughs> Um, we cut over. Labilia is there bathing Rebecca because it's bath time. Reminding me that Labilia bathing is all, time. Uh, bathing time. It did make sense for Labilia to be in that last arc because she didn't do squat. <laughs> but I guess she's here. Uh, and hey, Nick, finally. Couchpo also gets to be in one of these bat scenes. Uh, there she is. Yeah, right no, there. No, no, the, co- the corner right there. It's over there. Over yes. there. That's where she is. Yes. 
uh, Rebecca is just kind of uh, talking about like how this is kind of a difficult thing to like relate to. Like she's like, how am I supposed to be really happy about finding my father like this? I didn't want this to be how it happened. There's a side joke about Hamora finding the water too hot. I don't understand yeah, yeah. why it's there. Uh, it's, it's because that's her thing. She finds things hot. I guess. Yeah. Um, Couchbook brings up. She's like, hey, you know, there's plenty of people out there who never get to really see their parents and rebecca remembers like oh right like that's true like there's a lot of people on this ship very specifically who would probably enjoy the opportunity to see their mom or whatever mm-hmm. uh labelia brings up how in one of rebecca's own videos she talked about how she didn't have a mom or a dad but one day she'll be very happy to meet them and then when they do all of them are gonna cosplay happy and rebecca's like oh my god he definitely wouldn't have watched that video would she would he um, which is just kind of a weird shot to add in there because we find out later oh, on he man. did, and it turns a cute moment into a dumb surely, one. Surely, surely, Captain Connor wouldn't watch like a really heartfelt video that you did. No, he would watch the one where you dripped honey onto your boobs. Like that's the less concern. Yes, clearly. Uh, Hamora challenges Clean to a fight because it's so hot, and. You know, Hamora's just like, you know, because this is where I battled Elsie. And then they look to the sky. Hard cut over. We had to, this was the, the we had to get like the, the transition. So we needed to bring up Elsie. That's why Hamora was even in that scene. Uh, Shiki is talking to, I guess, the only other drawn member of Elsie's crew that we ever heard of who didn't get killed on the planet. <laughs> and the guy's like, hey, Elsie and like the other people are still all missing. Have you heard anything from them? And Shiki's like, nope. <laughs> Definitely haven't heard anything of them. And Herbert's there is like, hey, Shiki. And Shiki's like, I know. Elsie chose her own path. I respect that. But I just don't know how to explain it to her crew. And I guess the other good joke in this uh, chapter is that Clown is there, like, on an, an interrogation table. He's like, I feel like you should just tell them the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like they should definitely know, as opposed to just lying about to them that all their friends are look, dead. Look, keeping co- the lines of communication obscured between yourselves and a crew that you have even a remotely positive relationship with can only end positively. Just look at all the times that it's worked out in wonders for you. Remember that whole thing that happened with you and Justice because you didn't just like, you know, talk to them about stuff? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Clown's there. Yeah, Clown's there. They're like, hey, let's start interrogating him. They're like, hey, we found out Ziggy wasn't commanding you. It was the Eden's one itself. The Clown's like, yep, you figured it out. And they're like, well, who is it? Who built the ship? And I'm like, Master Ziggy. And it's like, well, how did it gain a mind of its own then? And Clown just, like, kind of puckers. It was like, is it really that strange for a machine to have a heart? And they're, like, shocked by this answer. And then I guess Shiki's gravity pulls in the memories to show us that Clown, in his previous life, knew Sister. So we can get that connection as well. I'm really not sure what the catalyst is supposed to be. I, I assume it's Shiki. It just though. happens. Just uh, sometimes it happens because the other ones seem to happen like when they met each other and stuff like that. This one's just like, yeah, boom. Um, hey, we find out he was a doctor and sister was a patient of his at one point that like was kind of desperate to know if she's going to be OK. And he's like, yep, I'm the acrobat of the operating table. I'm like, the fuck That's does bad. that mean? What does that bad. mean? You hop around the a fucking operating table? What does that mean? 
if your doctor tells you that they are known as the acrobat at the operating table, ask follow-up questions because... <laughs> they could tell me they are the acro, the acrobat of the operating world, and that would give me slightly more confidence. I'd be like, I, that was a mildly enjoyable Sega Genesis franchise, I guess. Oh, God. Uh, and they're like, hold on. Uh, big alerts going on. Everybody get here now especially Rebecca and Connor. And we cut over and we see Connor is in a happy costume because they're like, St. Fire Knox, Rachel, she's awake. And it's like a bummer because I feel like showing that, like explaining originally like, hey, Rebecca had this like video as like a child that she like had a wish for what her family would be like when she got to meet them. And Connor like watched that and saw it. And then surprising her with it, been a kind of cool idea. Now I just feel like it's a thing Hero wrote so that Captain Connor could be in a dumb cat costume for the rest of this scene. Yep. And that's that. <sighs> All right. Uh, I'm, I guess I need to <laughs> pick up the pace because we've got so much manga still to talk about. All right. It's Akane Banashi, story 39, Okanban. Uh, Akane is reflecting on what's going on with the Neta Oroshi event that she's going to be doing with uh, Rokuro. Uh, and, uh, you know, she reflects on, like, what am I supposed to do? She thinks about how a, another uh, Rokugoka refused uh, Akane's assistance, uh, of course, because of the fallout between her and Rien. Uh, and she's like, I mean, look, at this point, I'm not even going to be able to learn any new stories because none of the masters are going to want to assist me. Uh, and I can't just go back to Master Shigama after the conversation we had because I'm supposed to be transitioning to the phase where I branch out and learn from other people. So what do I do? As she's walking along, she comes across this long line of people who are lined up to see Urara Runsaika perform the very, very famous female Rakugoka that uh, we've been getting hints at uh uh, introducing recently uh, the current Tate uh, that she's been working with uh, happens to be there and he like freaks her out because he just comes up unannounced and explains like oh yeah you know she's an Okanban uh, which is a small oh, the Okanban are a small handful of Rakugoga that are so popular and powerful they can fill up an entire performance hall all on their own they are that big a draw uh, and they are, and this one is for the most successful female Rokugoka at this moment, Urara Ransaika, who uh, happens to come by at that point. And both of them are like kind of immediately enchanted by her presence uh, until Urara kind of calls them out. I like, are you just going to like gawk at me? Um, Urara has a Futatsume with her named Mayura, who has come with bags upon bags of things to uh, help out. She like lays out tea and a cushion for her and does a, like a tea ceremony, like right there, right away. Uh, and um, when Akane asks her like, well, you know, why are you always this prepared? She says, Oh no, no, no. I, I actually packed on the lighter side today. Uh, when I kind of asked that this is a ton of work for her, she says, no, because I get to be at my master's side and it brings me nothing but joy. And she opens up one of the bags. She's brought five different kimonos just to so that Urara can have her pick and have whatever she wants. Uh, Urara is like, oh, that's that's very helpful. Thank you. Mayura 
kind of blushes and gets this weird look on her face. And Akane is like a third party to this watching it happen. She's like, why is this? So, why does this feel so weird? And for a moment, I was worried about the way that people were going to be like drawn to Arara because it's like they're all in love with her. But it's not quite that. It's that everyone is like immediately obsessed with her and obsessed with getting any sort of attention from her. People are like, you know, orbiting around her backstage to the performance hall. Yeah, dude. Didn't you see what happened when Lady Demister or whatever showed up in fucking <laughs> a Resident Evil trailer? You put a mommy in the trailer and people start going wild for it. Yeah, you know, Lady Dimidome. Uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> owner of the Lady Dome Dimidome. <laughs> owner of the Castle Dimidome, you know. So, uh, the Tate uh, Zenza says, "Oh, maybe the story is true, or it's really just a rumor that during her first ever performance, Master Urara forgot her material, and for the eight minutes she needed to fill, she just sat there without uttering a single word." Uh, but that's not the crazy part. Of all the people who took the stage that day, she got the greatest applause, even though she didn't say anything. Uh, and the Tate is such like a, a fucking ridiculous explanation. To that. Like it's it's crazy. Everyone's like, "Yo, she's so cool." I just watched her saying nothing for eight minutes straight, yeah. and like couldn't stop applauding at the end of it. Uh, he says that his master told him that Master Urar's performances are like a drug. Uh, so people can't get enough of her no matter what she does. Urara, after that, uh, wants Akane to help her out with stuff. And she has her just kind of like model some kimonos for her. Uh, and Akane's getting to a point where she's like, I, aren't you supposed to go on stage soon? And she's like, oh, I'm just I'm just killing time. No one's paying any attention to you here. And of course they won't. The world of traditional arts is ruled by etiquette and hierarchy. And they don't look kindly on people upsetting the usual order. So, yeah, she, of course, has heard about this, which makes sense. She's been in contact with Rokuro. We know this. Mm -hmm. And she asks Akane, do you regret it? Do you wish you hadn't done it? Do you think you made a mistake? And Akane says very straightforwardly, yes, I should not have used Rakugo to get my revenge on him. But Aurora spots right away, oh, so you don't regret the act of revenge itself. And Akane explains, well, I became a Rakugoka in order to assert myself so I want to be honest with myself. And Urara uh, seems kind of pleased by this answer, but she's also kind of amused because she says, that sounds just like something that an apprentice of Shigama-kun would say, which Akane finds really weird that she's, you know, referring to Shigama, this, you know, older man as Shigama-kun very, very familiarly. Uh, but Urara now gets set to take the stage. And as she's, you know, like tying her hair up, she says... If you don't intend to impose your own will, there is no point to pursuing a life in the arts. Watch from the wings, and I'll show you the basics of how to lead a self-centered life. So, I will say, a couple of times during this chapter, the way that people kind of flock around her is a little bit weird. Uh, but I do like that when she's on her own, she does just exude this cool confidence. Uh, so, I am looking forward to seeing... How the hell she continues to play off of Akane. Yeah, I think we're we're gonna get some really good mommy moments from her. Um I want her to step on me, all those sorts of things. It's gonna be a good time. We're we just gonna like have to like, you know, dive into the 
disturbingly large archive of mommy, mommy fetish sayings that the internet has come up with. I'm sure that there are plenty that we could use. I'll just wait for Brawl to put our fan fiction on this one. That's pretty much like knocked out, you know, got everything right. in there. Got it. Okay. Blue box. Blue box. Need, I need like an intro for blue box. Blue yeah. box. Oh, what about like a, like a bluesy box? Like blues box. Or we could do like the theme from Blue's Clues or something. We just got a blue box. We just got a blue box. We just got a blue box. That's the whole thing. I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> uh, so Taiki is playing with Har- a game of badminton with Haru. Meanwhile, Kyo, Kyo, uh, Kyo. is walking around the practice area. He comes across Ayame, who is sulking to herself. She's regretting, you know, trying to interfere in the stuff that was happening between Hina and Taiki. She's like, oh, I didn't think that that would happen. And Kyo comes over and he asks what's wrong, which immediately Ayame is just like, get out of here, freaking nosy four eyes. But uh, Kyo, because he has been paying attention to everything, just kind of sits down nearby and is like, is this about Taiki and Shono? Uh, and I was like, well, you know about that? It's like, yeah, um, I, I kind of figured that they've been acting weird since yesterday. So I guess Taiki gave his answer. Cut from them to the match between Taiki and Haru. Haru is leading eight to four. Uh, so, you know, they're having these volleys, but Taiki is clearly not keeping up very well. Meanwhile, Hina is riding the bus. She's looking a little bit sad. Uh, Ayame is still talking with Kyo. And she's like, wait, I don't get it. And that was the first I'd heard of Inota having a crush on someone. It's like, yeah, well, you you jumped in without learning all the details, so that's that makes sense that you didn't know about that. Um, and but she also says, I mean, it's not every day you find a girl who will love you as hard as Pina loves him. And if you had no interest in her whatsoever, I could kind of get it. But they get along so well as friends, so why can't it work? And Kyo says. I do feel the same way, and Shona would probably get mad at me for saying this, but I thought they seemed happier as friends. Taiki tends to be the one chasing after a crush. I don't think he's used to being on the receiving end, which is the first part of what he says. Like, yes, we know for a fact that Hina and Taiki did get along very well as their relationship was. Just because Taiki is used to being the one pining after someone else doesn't mean oh if someone likes him back then it'll never work like that's such that's such a stupid bit of logic mm-hmm. uh he's 15 so whatever uh but Kyo says i guess there really is a difference between what's important as a friend and what's important as a potential romantic partner yeah but there's also overlap oh, fuck whatever uh look no matter what, we're on the outside looking in. That's that's what you should be saying. That's the that's the important point. Is like, look, we're not privy to all the details. We're outside observers, and Taiki made his decision. Back to the badminton match. Uh, Hari was kind of pulling away. It's he seems like he's kind of consistently getting two points to every one of Taiki's, uh, which is weird to see the score and then Taiki go. He's not letting me score at all when he's already scored. But whatever. <laughs> uh, it just means like, ta- in general, you know, it's a strong defense. It's very stout. Yeah, I guess it's like he's not giving me any slack. Yeah. Uh, and Taiki also says, like, I mean, just when I thought he was avoiding playing me, he's actually you know, gotten stronger and he's he's not holding back on me at all. And I really don't want to lose to him because if he's going to get better, then I can get better, too. 
Uh, and as he keeps on thinking that, it's like, I'm going to get better. I just got to get better. He hits the the shuttlecock out of bounds to end the game. Uh, Hari gets uh, his game point. And uh, Hari's me like, all right, that's game. Thanks. And Taiki's like, oh, come on, give me play again. And Hari says, no, 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 come on. It's it's over. And I'm tired because it's the last day of training camp. But just as Taiki thinks, okay, now he's just like running away again. Haru sits down and he admits, I was afraid to take you on. Which I know doesn't sound very cool, but I couldn't beat Hyodo. Uh, he left the team before I could beat him. And in a practice match, I lost to the first year Yusa. So if I lost to you on top of all of that, I knew that it would crush my confidence. I mean, I did win, but <laughs> uh, he, he's like, look, I'm glad that we that we had the match because it'd be pathetic if I kept on running away. Being scared of losing and having your pride get torn to shreds, you've got to just take all that and chew it up and swallow it and crawl forward. That's what strength is. And this clearly reaches Taiki, uh, who says, man, everyone's so strong. And Haru's like, what are you talking about? You're strong, too. And Taiki's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, the training camp ends. Everyone gets on the bus. Uh, people get on the buses to leave. They arrive back at the school, and then they all go back home. And as Taiki and Chinatsu get back to Taiki's place, they you know say, oh, hey, welcome back. We're home. Nice. Uh, and uh, Chinatsu comments like, huh, you know, we just, you know, left from the same place and now we're both coming back to the same place. It's a little bit weird. But Taiki gets thoughtful for a moment and then he says, hey, next break, why don't you and I go somewhere? So he's gonna try not to run away anymore. Like, uh, like what he learned from Haru, it seems yeah. like. Absolutely. Uh, it was an okay chapter. There were some good and some bad parts. I, I generally like this chapter a lot. I, I really like uh, Are you basically explaining. He's like, yeah, I've kind of been avoiding you because I've been eating loss yeah. after loss. And if I lost to you, I don't know what I would have done. But, you know, it's it good. It definitely to, tracks. It's yeah. good to see that I can still beat you and I've still got it. And I think everyone, I think you've been strong too. And like Taiki taking that, heading home and being forward now not like you know explicitly just like hey i love you but like hey let's go out somewhere and i do like that from the ashes of whatever potential there was between him and, and uh hina he's going to take that and, and try to be more proactive with chinatsu and you know, i liked it yeah yep you can never go on a date with someone unless one of you you know Ask the other out. Nice. Or you get match made or something. But no one's going to do that for those two. No. All right. We've got a new series, Quinn, called Cypher Academy. Chapter one. World War Four will be bought with pencils and paper. World War Four. What about World War Three? What crazy world are we in? It's, uh, it's the future. This is a series about code breakers. Not code breakers, code <gasps> breakers, but... Oh. <laughs> breakers of codes and and ciphers uh there is this kind of militaristic academy that this uh, series takes place in our protagonist uh i nick 
can only I assume I can explain this for I have not watched, but I have seen a lot of memes from the witch from Mercury uh, or witch from Mercury. So I believe it is uh, a very nervous, uh, terrified lesbian. And then uh, she just gets interacted with by her classmates. And eventually they start to fall in love with her. And it's very romantic. I didn't read the rest I, of this. That is that what happened, right? Uh, I mean, you're not 100% wrong. Uh, there is this school where they are. It's all about breaking codes. There is some history involved here about you know, the role that code breaking played in World War II, for example, how important that was. And so this is that, you know, this there is this elite school that has been set up to train people, especially girls, because women were very important in code breaking in World War II. Uh, uh, to do this stuff there i i have to assume it is supposed to be a small twist that the protagonist is a guy nick don't uh, you get it this time they turn the book on it normally it's like what would it be like to be a woman in a male-dominated field and this manga was brave enough to be like what if a man tried to step into a field of oh, women man. and they had to and rise show them all what for? They had to rise up and overcome all these bitches. Uh uh I can't remember our protagonist's name. It's Inoka. I remember that because it's part of the puzzle he has to solve. It is kind of a funny thing because, like, the very first thing to do is, like, this is an int- your introduction, which is they have to solve what is basically a crossword where a lot of the answers are missing. Like, a lot of the clues are missing. And it's supposed to, like, part of it is spells out the, their their name. So Inoka, like, can't get the this puzzle to even introduce himself there is this very very superior cold very satsuki from kill a kill looking uh woman who finishes the uh the quiz immediately uh then when Inoka's trying to do to figure it out later uh this girl with um robot legs comes by <laughs> or robot pants one or the other oh i hope they're just robot pants could you imagine every day you just put on robot pants and like all right yeah <laughs> jetpacks on they're not jetpacks there's no actual working machinery in these pants, but you call them robot pants. You just pretend it does these cool things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Toshusai is after this glasses robot leg girl, uh, and along with her friends. Uh, but uh, uh, Inoka agrees to hide the girl in the best fighting spot possible, which is just out of view. If you just stand right there and I was going to say, move it all. This, like once it's revealed where she actually is, you're like, I don't think she would have been completely hidden. Like, I feel like you would have seen definitely parts of her. From, like, it's not like the table has like something that blocks no. the bottom. So not at all. Like maybe if she had hidden behind that bookshelf, literally right over there. Yeah. The they don't really go it. into the room. So like they could no. have gone anywhere. Yeah. Um, Toshisai again mocks Inoka for not being able to finish their introductory assignment. But when they leave, uh, Iroha, not Iko, uh, is, 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 is his name. Uh, so the glass girl introduces herself as Kogoe and says, and basically says, like, oh, I can help you out with your assignment. But Iroha says, like, no, I don't, I, I don't want you to do it for me. I don't want, you, I want to be able to solve it myself. So instead, Kogoe's like, okay, well, then instead, accept these trendy glasses. And if you put them on, you'll look really wise. And if you just wear glasses, that's not cheating, right? Hint, hint, bye. 
uh, when Iroha puts them on, of course, they give him super code-solving abilities. We get an explanation later on in the chapter for how it works, but he's able to do the assignment. Uh, Toshusai is, is very doubtful about Iroha's ability to do this, so then they, like, she and her cohorts bully Iroha and are like, oh, yeah, you, you think that you, you, uh, we, we, uh, we, you know, want to make friends, that's all. And Toshisai is introduced as being like the heiress of this weapons manufacturer. She's got a lot of influence. And they're like, oh, yeah, you want to be her friend because if you're her enemy, she'll make your life a living hell while you're at this school. And Toshisai doubts that Iroha could have solved the puzzle because he was struggling with it so much before. Uh, And so she challenges him to solve a cipher that she has made and presents it to him. And and she says, this puzzle refers to one of us if you can solve it then i'll believe you uh if not you'll be my slave while you're at this school essentially so hero asks to put on his glasses and we get this uh very you know kind of low-key little transformation bit because he also ties his hair up so oh he's wearing glasses and ties hair up oh he's getting serious now kind of thing and the glasses basically just like highlight the important information in the puzzle that he gets and give him tools to make sense of puzzles and help him to take leaps in logic. He still has to at least solve the puzzle. It's not just a here's the answer thing, but it's done in a way that makes it more visually interesting as well. Uh, And it turns out that there's like a bunch of kanji in it that refer to the different uh, burrows and so he's trying to figure out like, okay, so here's this long list of them, but what order are they supposed to be in? How does this, uh, you know, relate to each other? And then he figures out like, the answer is Iroha. It's, it's me, the one of the four of us that you're referring to. It wasn't just one of the three of you. And he says that the answer comes from the fact that there's a poem called Iroha, which refers to each of the prefectures and also uses each of the classical hiragana characters once in a particular order so that order is what's is what's hidden in the puzzle so i don't know enough about this to know if this puzzle was actually solvable (laughs) but because of the context being missing i do like puzzle solving and i do wonder if we're going to get ones that have different cultural context that would be more solvable by like a western audience if that happens i think it's going to really define how much i will be able to enjoy this series can this puzzle actually be solved uh toshisai congratulates iroha on solving the puzzle he collapses in relief she goes to leave but then a voice comes over the glasses and says well your puzzle was solved so you lost so doesn't that mean you should become my maidservant which, of course, freaks Iroha out. Toshisai's uh, cohorts are like, what? Fuck you! But Toshisai goes forward, and she bows in supplication, says, ask of me whatever you wish, master. But she's got an evil smirk on her face, like, you've won this round, but I'm going to get you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and now Iroha's like, what the hell are these glasses? They can talk. Is there an AI here? What the hell? Girl runs around with high-tech glasses like these. And then, for the big exclamation mark at the end, it's revealed that Kagoe was watching the whole thing from a central hub with lots of monitors and stuff. And she says, 
You're one to watch, Iroha, to be able to utilize my war weapon at that level out of the blue. I wonder if it would be best to put you straight into the fray as you are. Into the mining war for the 50 million morgue of cryptocurrency assets lying dormant in Cypher Academy. Yo, that last panel is like, what? <laughs> it's so overdramatic. Uh, it kind of works though for how Celia says. Uh, also, she has the robot leg there, so I, th- I think the it's it's just one leg. Uh, I really have not a ton of thoughts when it came to this uh, beyond yeah, like uh, the witch from Mercury impressions as I read the chapter, which I don't. There's nothing there. Um, but then, like as the premise is like, hey, it's all about solving crypt uh, or uh, not cryptos. Uh, ciphers. ciphers it's solving cryptograms. Yeah, yeah cryptograms it's all it's solving all of these ciphers and whatnot in a way that's like absolutely untranslatable is something where i'm like i feel like there's a very narrow audience for this one i don't have uh, maybe this is going to be huge in japan i have, I have zero idea maybe. but uh, i definitely didn't read this chapter like blown away by it i kind of was just like yeah yeah yeah, when I when I was looking at the initial puzzle, you know, there's the little bit in the corner that says, see if you can solve it. And I got as far as, well, it seems like there are kanji in this and that the kanji are important in some way. And that was as far as I got. Uh, so, yeah, a language barrier cipher puzzle gimmick series could definitely have translation issues. It is possible that there will be a more broad puzzles in the future. I think that, like I said, is going to really define how this series gets any form of international audience. Because if a big part of the draw is going to be, can you solve the puzzle? No, because I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> There's a bit of a barrier there. Uh, there are definitely some good parts to this that I do like. I like the way that stuff looks. I like the premise a lot. Uh, but I am, as we mentioned, kind of concerned about the weird dynamics that immediately developed based around gender in this series and also oh man we gotta get that cryptocurrency (laughs) we gotta get our crypto nick it's the year we gotta get all of our morgues and they're buried underneath the school it does concern me uh, because anytime crypto is brought up like oh hang on (laughs) yeah if this manga like it was in production for so long they're like they just released they were like there are 12 legendary nfts we must gather and they just didn't have time to change the premise uh so for me the jury is very much still out on this uh but we'll see we'll see how the next few chapters play out yeah um and uh, we'll see if we keep up with it like we did with ginka and luna why so uh which is in chapter 11 dragon tamer uh, Ginka and Luna set off uh, departing from Karuha and company. They're going to make their way to the guild. They finally acknowledge that Beretta and Anemone are missing. <laughs> they go back to the they're guild. Like, hey, where were those people we had with us? <laughs> uh, also, they specifically are leaving Minigin behind. So, okay. We hardly knew him, but all right. Um, Ginka mentions, like, I wonder if uh, if they if they went on ahead. I wonder if they've made it past the final challenge. Uh, they spot Beretta's hat over a hill and jump up there, but the hat's not being worn by Beretta. It's being worn by a little old lady uh, who is just kind of sitting there on the ground because she came out to the wilderness looking for fruit. Her foot slipped when she tried to pick it, and now she can't get up. 
And uh, Luna says, oh, well, have you seen anyone else up here? Because you're wearing my friend's hat. And she says, no, I ain't seen a soul. And this is my hat now, which is uh, which is great. That's, uh, that's how I would expect her to react. Yep. They immediately come across some freaking giant golems and have to uh, dodge them. Giki and Luna run up the arm of one of them. Uh, and Luna also uses the paralysis spell she demonstrated in the previous chapter to stop it from smashing them. Uh, and Giga's, you know, just really impressed by her abilities and also the fact that, like, oh, you know, not only that, but she's really confident and bold, way different from the girl who was crying all the time as a little kid. Uh, and then, in a moment that feels like it should get a lot more attention, they snowboard off of the back of the column. <laughs> Uh, but no, we have to move on from that. That's there are dragons that show up after this point in the chapter. It's insane. Uh, Luna's freaking out over how much fun that they're having. A Elahorn shows up. It's a um centaur dragon elephant headed monster thing. And then there's a bunch of dragons as well. Uh, and they're guarding the sky that separates the ground from the floating mountain where the guild actually is. So they actually have to get up through the dragons in order to get there. And Luna does start to express some doubt as the dragons are coming towards them until the old woman says, sit. And all the dragons just sit calmly around all of them instead. And she introduces herself as the dragon tamer, who acts as the guild's sentry. Uh, so, yep, the feeble old woman with the creepy eyes that they found in the wilderness turns out was more than she seemed. Who could have seen that coming? Uh, so she gives back uh, an enemy's uh, hat or Beretta's hat rather and uh, they depart also she gives them some candy Aww. Uh, then they immediately spot that there's another dragon which just has a rock that Beretta and Anemone are dangling from I don't know uh, so Luna and Ginka get on try to get on another dragon to fly up there it immediately tries to eat Ginka, so Luna gets the idea to dangle him from a fishing rod in front of the dragon's face like a carrot over in front of a horse, and they fly up into the air, immediately attack the other dragon and stop them, save Beretta and Anemone, and they go up to the guild. Hooray! Adventures! Insanely fast-paced chapter. <laughs> yeah, a lot going on. A uh, lot to handle, but it's like fun, wacky adventure, so uh, it, it works for what it's attempting to do. It is a lot uh, of fun. Gets most of its stuff out there and leaves us all with a good time, you know, at the end of this. And that's what it's all about, Nick. Now, yeah. S speaking of good times. <laughs> oh, the Ichinose family's deadly sins. Okay, so Subasa is back in school now. Yep. After, you know, the memory loss injury that was established in the previous chapter. Uh, he's back in he's back in class and reintroducing himself to the class. We get a flashback to that morning where everyone's just like immediately heading out the door without spending any time talking with Subasa, which he finds a little bit um, upsetting. But he's also like, well, what, what I thought we were you know just getting to know each other, and also I wanted to ask them about their rooms because his room had the word "die" written in graffiti all over the walls. He has the school, uh, and he's like, oh, I wonder what my class is like. Wonder what my life was like here. Was I on any teams? Did I have? I guess I'll have to ask my. Uh, and then he finds that everyone is like way on the other side of the classroom from him, just avoiding him. 
And he's like, oh, do I not have any friends? And then a group of them all immediately come over to him. And they're like, hey, Subasa, good morning. How are you doing? Did you forget me? I'm your best friend, Nakajima. Remember? Best buddy. And they spend the day together. And they're doing, doing clean duty. And playing a sporty sport. And uh, hanging out. Oh, having a laugh. Where they have hideous laughter faces. Uh, and uh, Subasa asks, like, hey, Nakajima, you know, like, have, have I always, like, been like this? Because I don't remember anything about myself. And he's worried about the graffiti on his wall. And Nakajima says, nah, you haven't changed at all, man. Still as slow as ever, and you still forget things really quickly. After school, we're gonna hold a welcome back party for you in the classroom, so you better come. And Sebastian's like, Yeah, oh man, I was really worried because if I saw my room and not knowing who I am, I'm glad I've got Nakajima. And then he goes into the classroom where they're supposed to have the party for him, and uh, he goes in the classroom, and it's empty, but then he hears uh, Nakajima calling his name, and Sebastian's like, Oh, and he turns around. And a bucket of food scraps gets chucked right in his face in a full-on two-page spread. He's covered in food. Then it turns out Nakajima has thrown the freaking food bucket on him. All the classes gather around to see it. He's covered in garbage. And Nakajima's like, it's so hilarious you forgot. Take a look at this video I shot. All this evidence of the crimes I committed. uh, Of just humiliating Tsubasa, taking stuff from him. Forcing him to strip down naked and beg for forgiveness, covering him in garbage and then making him eat it. And then they're like, hey, welcome back, Subasa. Ha 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 ha. And Subasa's like, oh no, my dream. And Subasa says, I thought we were friends. And Nakajima says, yeah, best friends. Clean up that mess, best friend. Bye. And then Tsubasa gets really upset and he he goes home and he writes the word die on his wall. Oh, he was just upset about being bullied. That's the twist. Who was Tsubasa Ichinose? The bullying victim. Not a fan, Nick? No. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. This one, I felt like the the twist was like... (sighs) I'm trying to work. I found the twist to be very evident from like the second it got introduced, like introduced like, Hey, a couple of these kids want to hang out with you. And you're just like, yeah, they don't, they don't like you. And it, it sucks. Um, and I guess there's a part of me that's like trying to, cause normally I'm not the kind of person that like when I figure out the twist or something like that, I hold it against the series or anything along those lines. But there's something with like, I guess just like the uncomfortable bleakness of this chapter that I'm just like, not, vibing with i guess uh maybe there's more to it um but as it is right now it's just like i don't know if i really want to read this story <laughs> if, if this is what it's going to be like right now like this doesn't feel like it's going what to is, be the fun what, adventure quinn, quinn you don't want to have chapter after chapter after chapter of hey we're having a good time just kidding it's a bad time <laughs> depression <laughs> It's a really good way to describe. Like I was actually really into the story. I was like, "Oh, he found his friend." <laughs> Can we go back to that point where, like, you know, he had a friend, and you know, they they did fun things together before he made him eat garbage. <laughs> oh man, I love reading stuff that just like makes you go, "Like, oh, don't you feel happy? Too bad. Stop feeling happy. Life is full of liars and bullies." I'm still. Gonna like optimistically try to look at this, but yeah, this was not this was not uh my my favorite of the two chapters. 
All right, I've got a puzzle for you quick. All right, let's do it. My puzzle is this. Pitiless prison patroller prepares platter of pepper. Big boss man. That is absolutely 100% correct. Yeah. Do, do you know what the platter of pepper is? <sighs> they make someone eat pepper spray. He made Al Snow eat his dog, who was named Pepper. Oh, well, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> that's presumably, because, presumably because Vince Russo watched South Park, I think. so. Oh, um, that's fair, I guess. Uh, I have a game for you, too, Nick. Now, okay. the score is currently one and one. And as one established all. last week, we have uh, two things at stake. If you lose more than you win, the audience gets to pick a recommendation for us. If you win more than you lose, you get a pizza. So there's that looking for you. I have the wrestler right. in mind. Let me know when you're ready. I'm okay. going to start this clock. All right. I'm going to do two things here. One is I'm going to establish that my way of questioning may be a bit truncated this time, as in I might not say complete sentences. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that you're used to some of the questions I ask. The other thing is that I'm going to be staring down because I'm also setting a stopwatch on my end just so I can okay. get better track of the time. Okay. Uh, I'm ready. All right. Uh, we're going to start now. Uh, are they an active wrestler? No. Alive? Yes. Male? Yes. Were they in WWE? Yes. Wrestling the 2010s in WWE? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, did they leave WWE in the last five years? No. Okay. Uh, after 2013? Uh, yes. Asterisk. Okay. okay. Have they been in movies, Hollywood movies? Not to my knowledge, no. Okay. Uh, were they a tag team champion? Uh, no. Intercontinental? Yes. Uh, United States? No. Okay. Uh, world champion? No. Okay. Oh, I'm completely blanking now. This is bad. Uh, did they wrestle in the 2000s? Yes. 1990s? Yes. Uh, 80s no and just briefly in the 90s uh, yeah, but that that, 90s. that is that is a minute on my clock so okay. you've last guess nick okay never world champion never united states champion or a tag team champion did win the intercontinental championship aren't currently an active wrestler uh but are alive and left roughly seven ish years ago because they didn't leave in the last five years, mm -hmm. but they didn't leave in 2013. Okay. Uh, let me put that all together in my mind palace. All right, pull it together. This me. is Nick. This is like Yami Yugi has entered it. He's trying to figure out which of the thousand staircases that Pretty go in a much different way he needs to go across. <laughs> uh, well, it can't be. No, that can't be it. Um. Oh, man, there's so many Intercontinental Champions. That's bad. <laughs> was it? Oh, no, that can't be it. That's I was I almost said Rikishi, but that's way right. too long ago. I'm going to need an answer. I know. I know. <sighs> oh, OK. Um, Is it? Oh, is it Val Venus? 
No, I'm sorry. It is close. This was Prince Albert, a.k.a. Lord Tensai, a.k.a. Uh, Matt Bloom. When he, did he stop wrestling? Yeah, that would have been because he, he was a commentator on NXT was like, like, when it started. It was yeah. like, yeah, like like 2013. And then he became like a, a, a commentator and a trainer. So I was like, that's what he said left. I was like, kind of like he didn't leave WWE. He, didn't to stop, leave, he stopped yeah. being an active wrestler. I'm trying to I'm trying to let me just see if this actually does match everything that I said. He was no, never he was be, never a tag team champion in WWE was, in no. WWE. He wasn't in New Japan. No, he was in New Japan, yeah. Uh I feel And he wrestled kind of like in he came in during 1999. Oh, Val Venus did win a tag team championship. Yeah, come on with Lance Storm. Chief Morley. Oh, uh, all right. Well, All right. that puts at least I that, got, at least I, I was a lot closer this time. Very close. <laughs> and Nick wrestling wants a comeback story. You're down one to two. There's still many weeks left. This is your chance to I come back next week. Even stronger. I feel bad. because like I had 12 seconds left and I just blanked on any <laughs> other questions. So. All right, that's fine. Let's keep on going. We got so much manga still. PPP, PPP, chapter 58. Fanta. Wanna, Fanta, uh, don't you wanna? Made by uh, Nazis. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Fanta emptied out the performance hall uh, with his final performance. And uh, he thinks to himself, like, had another good performance today. No matter how nervous or flustered I get once I play the piano. My genius just shines through. And then he just thinks, take that copycat. <laughs> so apparently, Sadama did really piss him off. Uh, everyone kind of comes to their senses outside, including Sadame, who also got caught up in the crowd and also left. And he just takes out his phone and says to himself, well, we lost Lucky. And he votes for Fonta's performance over Lucky's. So looks like Lucky definitely lost their wager. Uh-oh. Fonta, however, thinks to himself that today I shattered my genius into pieces. The genius that's never abandoned me, that always shines. Am I okay with this? What if even my genius abandons me? But uh, as... Uh, he thinks about this. We see that not everyone left the bleachers when he played. Furusu it's like is still jan- there. It's like a janitor with headphones on. It was just like, Yo, you still here? Get out of here, my guy. <laughs> Come on. I got a sweet. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Furusu, all by herself, applauds Fanta's performance. And it kind of draws him out of this, you know, introspective state. And he kind of stares blankly at her. And she rushes down from the bleachers and goes down the steps and she thinks like, oh man, that performance evoked so many different emotions from the very first note and then by the second note, all those feelings were jammed in and then scattered. This person, Fanta Ogami, Odogami, revealed a twinkling world just for this audience. And there's a weird little silly moment where as she's, you know, rushing down the steps thinking all these poetic things where she just like stumbles into the edge of the stage and goes, boom! <laughs> Uh, but she's not really messed up by this. She looks up at him and she's got this big smile on her face as she says, your performance was the best today because it's you playing the piano. Your genius stands out and it can evolve to shine so brightly. And this 
kind of seems to surprise Fanta. And he thinks about like, hey, you know, I chose this piece of music without thinking. No wonder why. Oh, right. Mom's going to die today. Oh. Whatever. Come on. <laughs> First, it kind of like gets embarrassed about how she just kind of like gushed about Fanta's performance, but then he, you know, says he starts talking to her, but before he says anything, he thinks like I played piano on the stage and I'm glad that I did. My genius will still be my genius tomorrow because I am a genius pianist. I feel like someone gently said something really kind to me, and. uh we get this full page spread of Fanta who seems to have finished wiping away tears as he smiles at Furusu and says, thank you. There's a human down there trying to get out. He's, he's, he's trying to feel actual emotions. It's yeah. Slowly, he'll, but he'll surely get there. But we have to focus on Sorachika who got, you know, that big, antagonist assist performance and is uh, is apparently going to be up to something because he leaves a note with uh, Wolfa uh, one of the Ogami assistants and says hey can you give this uh, letter to uh, this note to Fanta later and hands it over and it says dear Fanta ultima esibizione don't know Italian I'm sorry uh and that's just kind of it as we get set to cut over to the hospital. Uh, also, the note says, uh, I'm going to disappear for a while. Don't come looking for me. I'll be fine. Yes. Uh, I'll be curious to see what this all means. I do like this character development for Fanta. He really is becoming like a full-fledged character. I also really like this moment for Furusu, who didn't get to do really anything this arc, but she has this kind of big moment where, as an audience member, she got to kind of really participate, which is very, very cool. So, you know, good job, Megami character. Hmm. Uh, the Italian in the note basically means, hey, good performance. There so, you go. Yeah. A boppity boopity. Yeah, that's what it said. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Nick, let's talk about National <gasps> Magic and Muscles, Chapter 133. Finn Ames and the Staunch Fellowship. Last time, Rio Grant's big comeback was stopped and halted, and Doom is just like, yeah, I didn't think you could afford to guard the weak visionary of light, and Finn's like, no, he did all this for me, and you know, Finn just gets smacked anyway, so what did it really matter, and every, all of them are getting beat up, and everyone's watching, and they're like, oh no, it looks like he's going to kill Finn, but then... Lance activates a gravity attack that doesn't really hurt Doom much, but it stops him. And then Rain shows up and swings his sword and uh, orders up and Dot and all of them are firing spells. And Doom's like, how are they exerting more power? They had more even beyond themselves and they're firing all this. And he's just like, it doesn't really matter. And he just like flexes his bicep or not his bicep, his like fucking shoulder, basically like bulges, swings his sword gigantic like seismic effect rock shattered blood everywhere it looks like he hits everybody basically and he says simply joining forces doesn't make the weak strong it is over and then bam shot in the face with a beam of light and he's like holy shit you can still move and rio grants dripping blood as he walks says the lives of everyone including our families are at stake no matter what 
will never stop fighting. And if there's one thing we humans won't stand for, it's being sold short. And, uh, you know, Finn's like, ah, dang it, I got in their way. I don't know if there's anything else we could do. And he starts getting a phone call and, like, his terrifying rabbit phone. It's creepy as hell. (laughs) I feel like this was introduced at some point, but I've forgotten, and it's terrifying. It is their communication method. So he's like, Caldo, what do you want? And we don't get to hear what's happening. You just see Finn say yes, and then his eyes go wide, and he's like, he's coming? Then soon... Mash will, and we don't see what's going on. We just see Mash's teeth are like chattering. So it looks like Mash might finally be getting ready to join this fight. I say this, I think we probably have like another chapter before Mash even wakes up. But yeah, it's pretty exciting. There's not a lot more that can be done at this point without Mash in this fight, it feels like. So we've got to be getting there. Yes. I do like, again, uh, yeah. that Rio Grants didn't just get knocked down by one shot. Like, he's, he's still standing there, so good for him. Mm-hmm. All right. The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 87, Plan 1335. Pubuki is trying to think of a plan to deal with their enemies. Tokiyuki is getting really excited about it. Uh, and all of the other uh, members of his group are kind of reflecting on how Tokiyuki kind of, like, just brings stuff out of them by, like being relentlessly interested and optimistic about their abilities like genbo was like was you know training and toki was like i'm looking forward to seeing you fly one day uh he was noting about how ayaka is getting really tall and he said if you carry me when you're an adult i could go from shinano to kamakura in one step and ayako doesn't object to this with the logic of that's impossible it's how much rice would i have to eat to do that you know in order to turn into a a, a, a giant the size of Japan. Yes, yes. that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, fight is going on. There's um, a bit of a note about what Uesugi did to all of these science soldiers uh, in order to get them to fight this way. They did weird experimental stuff. Yep. And also, Imagawa is wrecking shop, just tearing through people, and they Uesugi says that he's making use of this because Imagawa disrupts the formation by charging through it, and then all the common soldiers can pour in through the gap uh, it, just by following in his wake. Um, and that's mostly what happens there. Fubuki gets a big idea and uh, says to Ayako that uh, they need to get some horses, uh, some very swift horses, uh, and then he also calls out to Hoshina, like, hey, we need soldiers in flashy gear. Genba, have Shizuku prepare these items right here. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, what's the big plan? Uh, and Fubuki comes to Tokyuki and he says, hey, you remember what I taught you for Sonobi Nori? That's going to be crucial for this plan. Uh, things are going bad on the battlefield because Imagawa is disrupting stuff so much. Morale is, heavily, is, heavily, is way, way down because people are in a panic as this weird horseman goes through them. We have another pit stop with Imagawa, except in this case, instead of just like taking him off one horse and putting him on another, he bites into the horse's neck and we get a scientific explanation for why this is a good thing, actually. Yeah. Which is, you that, oh, there's eat horse meat all the time, Nick. Raw horse meat. It's a good idea. Do it, everybody. You see, it's got, it's low in allergens. It's very little bacteria because of the high blood temperature. Eat it. Eat the horse. Do it! <laughs> Imagawa gets another fresh horse, charges into battle, 
But then, who comes charging through the fray but Tokyuki with his hair down, fluttering in the wind. He shoots an arrow at Imagawa, who deflects it, and then Tokyuki's like, hey, come and get me, and turns around and rides away. And he's on a giant-ass horse. Sonobi Nori, as it turns out, is a full-body method that a child can use to control a horse normally ridden by adults. And so because of this, the big old horse has a lighter weight on it, and it can run really, really fast. So Tokyuki is running away on a really, really fast horse, which can counter Imagawa's ability to, you know, gum gear second the horse's heart and make it run fast. Uh, and Tokyuki's riding away from Imagawa and also leading him through the army. And everyone's like, oh, man, look at our lord running and keeping pace with Imagawa and not getting hurt. And everyone's going to get really inspired by it. And it's really flashy looking because his hair is flowing in the wind and everything like that. And so that's the big thing. It's not only, you know, neutralizing Imagawa, it's boosting soldier morale. It's a neat plan. Yeah, I like the plan. I like that Fubuki got to, like, have, like, a cool plan, and there's a lot of excitement for it. And it, it seems like it's a good start to, like, this small little story that uh, feels odd to have immediately followed what was, like, a larger thing. But maybe there's still elements we haven't, like, seen kind of crawl into this yet. So, cool stuff. Hmm. I dig it. Oh, there's no Black Clover this week. <laughs> no Black Clover. Let's just condense One Piece really quickly, Nick. Sum it up in like one sentence. Uh, science. There you go. Boom. All right. What was your favorites this week? Now, uh, uh, this is a really good chapter. One Piece is a ton of exposition. It's all about Dr. Vegapunk explaining how their brain works now, kind of solving your critique last time of like, why is their head smaller now and has an apple on it? We don't know why there's an apple. I assume just as a you know a Newton reference or something like that. Pretty much, yes. Um, but his, we find out that the big giant like egghead facility itself is where all of Vegapunk's brain has gone because if he ate the brain brain fruit, which meant all of his knowledge like expanded and collected in his head. And thank God he was a smart person because otherwise his brain would have <laughs> just exploded. I guess I don't I don't know, but. Yeah, it's an antenna, so it allows him to connect to his data banks, and that's very, very cool and very, very awesome. Yep, and uh, he talks about how, like, oh, and, you know, everyone could like potentially share this. There'd be this huge database that everyone could draw from. Bonnie's like, I'm gonna kill him, <laughs> uh, and. Vegapunk's big objection to "I'm gonna kill him" is no, that beam saber was a failure, which, um, I don't know exactly what the problem with it is it seems to be working he says it it, it, it's not really a failure it's a failure because he says it attracts insects and in his mind that's an imperfection right so the beam saver itself functionally works perfectly there's just a side effect that he's like that keeps it from truly working uh also um zappy zaps happen i don't know exactly what happens off panel here but bonnie's collapsed afterwards and there is a funny moment where luffy goes hey look bonnie a stag beetle because <laughs> he is a little she's kid. just foaming at the mouth man ah! uh they talk about momonosuke briefly and again vegapunk's like oh a failure he wasn't supposed to be a pink dragon yeah that's the big failure of the fruit yeah he's he's yeah um Luffy's like can you make this giant robot move uh, but he establishes no 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 that's the gi- the legendary iron giant it thought it was superman and it made everyone sad 200 years ago uh and uh he, he says like look there's you know no one knows why it was made they say there was no damage to it because it ran out of energy no one knows where it came from what it was trying to do the world government ordered it to be torn down destroyed but 
Well, the scientists were like, no, fuck that. It's a cool robot thing. Uh, meanwhile, Vegapunk 1 is talking to the group of Nami, Sanji, Frankie, etc. Uh, and they talk about events from 200 years ago. And Robin's like, 200 years ago? That's when fishman discrimination became a big issue. Hmm. Coincidence? No. Because <laughs> why would the detail have been brought up? Uh, and uh, robots... The Vegapunk one says Vega Force one used the Iron Giant as a guide as a model for it makes sense, uh, but he says like I can't recreate it perfectly because of its dynamic power source. Uh, then um, there is uh, they cut over to Luffy's group again. Vegapunk says there's something he needs to give to Bonnie. He asks that Luffy take him off of Egghead, which means that we're going to potentially get. Vegapunk on the going the, the the sunny go maybe it depends on how long we're on this island. Also, CP's cipher pole is coming, uh, and everyone's like, "Well, uh, we sh so Vegapunk one contacts them and is like, reply to the ship, tell it to unload the Seraphim and leave." Then it cuts over to the Kamabaka Queendom, and oh man, Kuma's on the move. He's running away. Where is he going? Does the Navy have control of him? And Koala and uh, and Dragon and uh, Ivankov are all trying to stop him. And they're like, no, you need to stay here. This is where our revolution really begins. Parts are moving. Yeah, it's very cool. Like, I, I do like the idea that, you know, the cipher full thing goes out and then suddenly the Kuma robot happens, probably potentially sensing something happening with uh, Bonnie. I'm not 100% certain, or maybe it's the Seraphim alert that's being set up or something like that. But there's a lot of cool stuff happening there, and I do like at the end, like, please let Kuma have some kind of happy ending in all this. I don't know what it's <laughs> going to be, but like this poor guy, give him something. He's had a rough time of it, definitely. Yeah. All right, now we're done. Uh, Let's wrap this oh, up, Nick. Let's do our favorites and MVP. I'll say my favorites first. Uh, my favorite series this week, continuing the trend, is Undead Unluck. Actually, I didn't say Undead Unluck last week, so never mind. Or the week before. Well, I did the week before that, but not the week before that. Regardless, my most popular pick, Undead Unluck. And then my MVP is going to be Fanta, Fanta. Nazis made it. Fanta, Fanta. Because that was, I think, a good chapter for him. Not the Nazis. They suck. But Fanta, the character. Not the drink. My favorite, my favorite chapter this week was Chainsaw Man. Uh, I yeah, quite liked the, you know, reflection that's happening and the steps that Asa's willing to take. I really like the direction that it goes where it's like, it seems like the most obvious ploy in the world. How to get, how to kill off Denji. Pretend you're going on a date with him. Oh, but there's all this, you know, like misunderstandings going on. She thinks that someone else is Chainsaw Man. It's like really interesting and I'm excited to see where it goes. But also just like the stuff that happens within the chapter is very cool. And there was a good ass cat in it. So there's that too. Yeah. Uh, my favorite character I'm a little bit torn on. Uh, I want to give it to Fanta. I also want to give it to Fuko. Uh, I think I'm going to lean into giving it to Fuko just because it's really cool to see, you know, how much she has grown and how far she's come. Uh and although this is a very sudden, like, power upgrade because it's like, oh, it's a time skip kind of power upgrade and she's got, like, a lot more confidence, you know all the experiences she was, she had prior to her big time skip. 
uh-huh. were leading her to want to prepare for this moment. And it feels like, okay, all the time that she spent on her own was not in vain. Here is the very, very tangible representation of what she can do now. Yes. And the audience agreed. Uh, Undead and Luck at Fuko won for Chapter of the Week and MVP. So they really, really enjoyed it. Yay. All right. That's going to do it, guys. For Week Manga Recap, thank you for joining us. We are on twitch.tv slash RoloT Wednesday evenings, usually starting around 7.38 Eastern time, but to stay updated on when exactly the show goes live, you can follow us on social media. Wherever it is we wind up <laughs> in this uncertain time, but we're currently at Nick F Time, at RoloT, and the podcast account at WMR Podcast. We'll see where we wind up when the dust settles. Uh, also, you can check out the show on weeklymagarecap.poppy.com. Uh, for all of the audio episodes, we're on also on youtube.com slash recap for video version. The video versions feature occasional title card art by Steve Mann. You can find his stuff wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. Uh, and also feature an opening sequence by Winsledale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. You can also check out the Weekly Manga Recap Patreon, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap. Check out bonus content that we love to throw out there for you guys. And you can also join the Weekly Manga Recap Discord server. Use that to participate in discussions about the manga chapters as they come out each week, the series that we're going to be taking as recommendations, and also the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, which uh, has all sorts of helpful statistics associated with the show, and also is also a place that you can throw your own recommendation for a future series for us to cover on the podcast. Speaking of which, Quinn, where are we going to be talking about next time? All right, Nick, you're going to help me with this pick. I need you to pick. I'm going to help you. I need you to pick between one of these three. Would you like to read like a dramatic, darker story, a uh, funny battle manga story, or a sports story? I feel like I'd always want to read a sports story. Well, so. you never know. I'm, I'm great. What mood do you think you're going to like the most? Because I can't picture, pick between these three right now. I was leaning towards the first until you said sports story. So I'm going sports. All so. right. Boom. We're going to be reading Blue Lock. It's a soccer manga. Apparently a very intense one. So we're going to take a look at that. Oda from our Discord was the one to suggest this originally. So this Very is... influential. Apparently the Japanese soccer team now is wearing uniforms designed by the Blue Lock author. Yes. So so this one's probably going to take us a bit. This is a longer series, and I know volumes are still being translated. I think it's still running as well, so we're not going to have a full picture, but there's going to be a lot to read, so it might take us a little bit, but we'll have time for it. Yeah. So guys, we will see you all next time. To those of you who celebrate a certain Thursday holiday gathering, uh, we hope that you have wonderful food and spend some time with your families. Yes, I celebrate. Loved one. I celebrate Ghoul's Thursday as well, where all the spirits rise from the grave and throw things at each other. This sounds like a great holiday. I so. think everybody should join in on it. It's a good time. Ghoul's Thursday. Ghoul's Thursday. Ooh, it's scary. All right, we're gone. I have no more to say. Bye. Bye.